Jed Poppy. Jed Poppies. Jed Poppies aren't much fun. They don't come. Hello there. <laughs> you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for 2013. The whole thing. The entire year. Thing. My name is Tom Chick, and I'm here to discuss the year 2013, all the movies that came out in that year, the good ones at least, with Christian Mulkrowski. Actually, my first name is pronounced Crease. It's Crease. Just say Crease over and over again. Crease. Kelly Wan, what was he referencing? I don't know. I didn't catch that. I wasn't Let's find out later. All right. uh, Kelly Wand, is there a tagline? Because we have here Kelly Wand with a tagline for the year 2013. Kelly Wand, what is it? Uh, we survived the Mayan apocalypse again. <laughs> Question mark. What's uh, the next apocalypse now that we've beaten the Mayan one off? Sure so, uh, is there going to be? Yeah, are we done with the Mesoamericans? Do we move uh, on to their cultures apocalypse? We'll never be really done with the Mesoamericans until we refight every battle from that era with ourselves. But what I was going to say to you more importantly about movies is that the year also has a circumference around the sun. Mm. That's great. Uh, that song was because in all the in, in some of my favorite movies this year, in no fewer than five of my favorite movies, not all of these are my top ten, but in, in at least five of them, dogs or dog-like creatures were killed. Oh. Was that one of your prerequisites? No, it was just something that happened in 2013 that I'm not happy about. I've never been a dog person. easy. Wait a minute. Riddick is going to wind dog? up on your whoa, list. Whoa, 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 whoa! Okay, I didn't want to spoil. I didn't want to say what they were because it's arguably a spoiler. If Riddick's also kind of say that. Some, I was uh, just joking. Gosh, uh, I loved Riddick. I mean, it's not on my list, but I really like that movie a lot. It's an example of proof of Tom's theory that it was the year of the dead dog. It's an no. example of some great sci-fi that came out this year. But uh, in in four other movies, that's why I said dogs and dog-like creatures. That was not technically a dog. Well, that's what made me think of Riddick, because you said dog-like creatures. Well, see, I covered my tracks there, yeah. See? But then there are four other movies where dogs got killed, and I'm not happy with that, because I now like dogs. I didn't used to, but Dingus has this awesome dog who's kind of won me over to, to doghood. Uh, so I'm a fan of dogs now. I don't like seeing them killed in movies, and it, it happened a lot in 2013. They always get killed. So, 2014? No, they don't. They get spared. Wait, so, Evil yeah. Dead's in your yeah. top ten list? So 20, Oh, there's... No. Uh, that's the one I didn't like, but thanks for adding that to the mix. So 2014, Grandpa. let's see if we can do better for dogs. Mm. Let's, let's ease up on the dog killing. That's what happens, though. That's why the dogs are in the movie. It's like... Everyone's going to cry when the dog dies. So no, they you're not supposed to... Entire movies not, around... Kelly Wand, have you not seen Armageddon? Armageddon, the, the, the clear principle established... and. You see it in that movie. It predates that movie. But that movie further establishes it. You don't kill the dog. You kill right. someone near it, and the dog lives. It's dangling. I thought that was Independence Day. Independence thinking. Day, yeah, the dog survives. There's yeah. no dog in Armageddon. There is, too. So it's, okay, there's the guy selling the Godzilla blow-up dolls on the streets of New York. Godzilla's not a dog. The first, <laughs> the first meteor, it's not Dogzilla. When the first meteorite hits, and he's got a little barking dog on a collar. And the, and joke the dog is, catches the meteor when it comes. No, there's a hole, and you think the dog has been killed. <laughs> But then the camera, goes, the camera goes down the hole, and you see the little dog dangling there, and he has lived, but his owner has been – actually, I, th I think even the owner lives. But the dog, you think it got hit, but it's dangling down in the crater, and he's okay. So, so no, just threat there. You don't kill the dog. But the dogs now, are always on the front lines. And so, so you and I – Today, 
I watched a movie where a cat got to live. Huh. Well, yeah, that's supposed to happen. That's pretty rare. So yeah, they, well, sometimes cats are the bad guys, but this yeah, cat they're... was almost poisoned, but then it wasn't. Well, these are the movies that are our favorites of the year. But before we get into this, we have to do a quick update here. Um, Ender's Game. Ugh. Paranoia. Anchorman 2. And 42. Those are the movies of Harrison Ford in 2013. Oh, good Lord. Really? Every single one of them, I think, is awful. Uh, let's let's look at another list of, of these are these movies also pretty awful. Let's let's now. He made five movies. Let's come, that's four by my count. But let's come down here. I you said five. Pa- uh, Ender's Game, Forty Two, Anchorman, Paranoia. One of them was a number, so that might have thrown you. Maybe you were adding four and two. Right, I get five out of that. <laughs> here's here's another list of movies. This is important. Pain. I, I average it. What? Pain and Gain. Yeah. Okay, you can Fast, stop. Ah. Fast and Furious Six, Empire State. G.I. Joe Retaliation and and Snitch. Okay, so that is five. So many of those movies also awful. But the difference is you watch the awful Dwayne Johnson movies and you think, wow, Dwayne Johnson, he's really good. He was he was he was adding something to that movie. I don't think you can say that about a single one of these Harrison Ford movies. Hmm. Ender's Game, Anchorman 2, come on. I'm uh, on a desert island. Should I take Ray's Lost Ark or Tooth Fairy? Those are my I remember options. being very excited when we saw the preview for 42 and going, hey, that's Harrison Ford, and you saying, no, stop it. I've never seen him play black before. Yeah, yeah so Dingus, once you saw 42, how did you feel? Uh, once you see black, you don't go back. Kelly, Kelly wanted he did not see 42. Is what 42 is the answer. Nobody saw 42. Right, it's a Douglas Adams joke, isn't it, Kelly Wand? They were do- they were pulling one over on Jackie Robinson. Is that <laughs> who it is about? Is he the 42nd president? Who what am I thinking of? Nobody saw 42. Uh-huh. 42. I heard it was good from the people who tell me everything's good. Well, I can tell you, uh, if you were to look at the list of Harrison Ford's four movies and Dwayne Johnson's five movies, right. guess which uh, group of movies made far, far more money? Oh, which is your credit? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's how you determine who's a better actor. By the way, uh, who has more Criterion <laughs> Collection uh, DVDs of your two favorite? Um, I'm going to say that's not fair yet because the jury's still out on some of Dwayne Johnson's better movies. Spendables well, three. Is well, by by association, uh, Dwayne Johnson because Michael Bay has so many Criterion collections of Pain and Gain. Uh, I only know of one Michael Bay Criterion collection. Pain and Gain was Oscar bait. I believe he's got a couple. Isn't like doesn't isn't it weirdly like a lot of his movies get Criterion treatment, like The Rock and the the okay. other Rock. The Rock, he's not. The Rock's not in The Rock, is he? <laughs> that, that, that would have been quite a coup. He, is, he was named for it, though. He was yeah. named for an island. So once again, I want to thank 2013 for for further proving my assertion that Dwayne Johnson is a better actor than Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, big celebrity. Dear to many of our childhoods, but as far as which one is a better actor, I think I think 2013 has just further proved my case. Dead Dogs, Rock Me, one more movie. <laughs> Those so uh, our 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 uh, methodology here—it's a little weird. What we each did, we made a list of, of ten movies. Tom, once again, in just kind of the math. I just want to I just want to commend yeah. you for always taking this. I think I did this right, right because. Uh, Kelly, what I'm showing four Dwayne Johnson movies on your list. Did I get that right? Is that from three, the math? three, four. Yeah, you you left off Snitch because I think you didn't actually see that one. I thought that's one with Brad Pitt, that guy Richie movie. <laughs> Snitch is actually of Dwayne Johnson. Well, we'll get into that another time. Uh, all right, 
Thank goodness. We all have a, a list of, of our, our top ten movies. We rated them from one to ten, uh, and we're just we, we scored the list to, to uh, get to present an order that we're going to discuss them in. So if it was your number one pick, it gets ten points. If it was your number two pick, oh, yeah. it gets nine points, and so forth. And we just added up the points who, for, for who each. Who won last year? Uh, last year was I might be confusing my own number one, but. Uh, Zero Dark Thirty was my favorite, but I don't think either of you guys had that as your number one. Oh, the movie one. None of us did. What did you guys pick? I had uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but let me just say, for the record, um, I'm not very good at these. I don't. I think ten is a lot of movies for me to like in a year. And if I like really liked three and seven are kind of also rands, I don't mind that. Mine was Beasts. I think Beasts might have won. Because of beasts, like, you just call it that one. Beasts of Southern Wilds. Come on, the one Bruce uh, hammered us on. Yeah, Bruce hammered us. And if it's my list, why is when I saw them irrelevant? But when they were produced, the critical part, like it had to be produced in 2012. But then if it got oh, and that's another thing, right? These all have to have been released uh, in 2013. Um, some of them, like there were there were several movies that I liked that only had like a DVD release. Uh, so some of these didn't have a theatrical release. But the point is, it had to have come out in North America in 2013. So uh, uh, just in case anyone's wondering, Lone Survivor is eligible. Mm, thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's go. If we look at the top of the list, this is uh, we're just going to go down from the, the movies that got the fewest points from all of us to the movies that got the most points. This is in no way a judgment of quality. It's just <laughs> sort of a judgment. Of, it's just sort of what a judgment. It? It's just sort of a judgment of, of who amongst us liked it. Uh, like the ones that we all collectively liked the most are going to naturally get the most points. Um, so uh, these first few, let's see, one, two, three. Yeah, for a while, we, we have several up here, and it's kind of awesome that only appeared on one list. The first one that only appeared on one list, actually, it appears on two lists, because let me briefly also explain, after we do our top ten movies, we each have a most surprising and most disappointing movie of the year we want to mention. We've each come up with three uh, special awards that we want to give out. So my most surprising movie of the year is also Dingus's number ten movie of the year. Wait, did I get that right, Dingus? No. Okay, no, it's Dingus. I've already screwed up the math. Hold on. <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. Oh, my God. <laughs> what did... Uh, it's hell on earth. What did Rotten Tomatoes have to say? Well, it's like we're Rotten Tomatoes, but there's... Oh, no, I figured out what I've done. No, I figured out the math. I'm still right. Okay, this is Dingus' number nine movie. It didn't make as many... It made fewer points. <laughs> I love that you came up with this convoluted system <laughs> that only you understand... <laughs> And you could just bullshit your way through it because no one else understands it. No, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It was Dingus's number nine movie, which means it gets two points. Ah, good work. No other movie made fewer points. Yeah. So, (laughs) Dingus's number 10 movie actually made eight points because, probably, at least I, no, because I had it on my list. So, anyway, Dingus. Your number nine movie is my most surprising movie of the year. It's a, a low-budget horror movie that I didn't expect much from. I just kind of watched it and afterwards sort of thought, hey, that was kind of good, and then I watched it again. Um, and I, I asked you guys to see it, and I actually got to watch it with Dingus, and I got to listen to him shriek like a little girl. When Dingus watched this movie, I want to quote what he said. I'm just going to quote the words, and then I'll let him explain it. This is what Dingus 
who who hated 12 Years a Slave said while we were watching a, an indie horror movie called Banshee Chapter, Dingus said, and I quote, stupid black guys. <laughs> Wait. Ooh, that's right. The stupid black guys. Isn't it? Dingus, why don't you explain yourself? I remember any what I said of any intelligence. Kelly Wan, let him talk. Oh, I'm sorry. I said stupid black eyes because it's one of those horrible moments where a character's eyes are totally black, and oh. I hate it when they do that. Oh, black eyes. Oh, see, yeah, I thought too, Kelly Wan, that it was oh, okay. You so he's calling eyes stupid. Not <laughs> so Dingus, this movie with this cheap little uh, jump scare that you're calling out is something that you hate it when they do it. Why would this be your ninth favorite movie of 2013? What the heck happened? All right, so my favorite quote from this movie is uh, the buttons on the side. Um, and uh, what? Oh, right, right. I was thinking like the button that you fasten a dress. <laughs> nope. It's, uh, I was when, thinking of that. When one character is learning how to use a walkie-talkie. Um, and uh, so usually what I do is I, I, I have a quote. I have a, like, I, like a best moment that I would choose from the year and then an image that I really, really love. Um, so my best moment is that there's this, there's this character. And, and one of the things I love about this movie is that Ted Levine shows up and, and, uh, and Ted, when Ted Levine shows up, I'm like, what, what, how did he, what, how did he drop into this movie? What the hell's going on here? Um, and he, I think he gets arrested for peeing on his lawn or something. Um, it, he talks about that, and then there's this great moment where Anne, the uh, a female uh, protagonist, um, is crouching on the other side of the car, that, and they're having this conversation, and she stands up, and it's clear that she's been standing out there peeing, too. And I just loved that little moment where the female protagonist is peeing outside while the male protagonist is doing this thing that he's gotten in trouble for. Anyway, um, so I, I just think this movie is special, and the, the other thing I will say is, is something I think special about it. I think it's special because it freaked me out so effectively. I was not expecting this movie. It came out of the blue. Uh, I mean, I'm, in, I'm totally, I'm an easy scare. Uh, I, 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 I will get scared just as I'm an easy laugh. I, I'll laugh at movies I don't necessarily like, uh, and I get scared by movies that I don't necessarily think are good. Uh, but this movie really got me and stuck with me, and I, I knew uh, that there's a moment where the, where the, uh, where the main character, Anne, uh, I think that's her name, Anne, is, is uh, going up the stairs uh, out of this basement. And you know, because the filmmaker has telegraphed it, that as she goes up the stairs and the way the scene is lit and, and how it's been set up, that a hand is going to reach out and grab her foot as she goes up the stairs. You know that's going to happen. Um, but it's just so effective the way it, any one of these silly little jump scares happens. And there's a lot of them in this movie. Um, but I love the setting. I love this weird sort of, we're going out into this, it's in Nevada, isn't it, Tom? Well, it's set in Nevada, but they shot it in New Mexico. Okay, so but it's it's this it's this great Nevada setting of 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 McMansions that have been deserted, sort of, um, and 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 they have to go track a character who's a chemist, this chemist woman, uh, out into the, one of these McMansions and find, go into the basement, and the, the main character keeps doing these ridiculous things where she runs and. I should stop at this point. Um, that is a great I, scene, though. I, I don't know that you stipulated this, Tom, but usually spoilers. in this in this in this podcast we try to avoid spoilers, uh, and so I should be more careful. Um, 
anyway, it's it's just the, the character keeps going into places and she's totally brave and then she ends up running running away from them in fear and then she goes back into another place and runs away in fear. Uh, I just really loved the experience of seeing this movie. I loved all the jump scares and I thought it was just beautifully atmospheric and Ted Levine is just amazing. I can't believe he just dropped into this movie yeah. like this Hunter S. Thompson kind of character. It was wonderful. So uh, I watch a lot of low-budget horror movies, and there are plenty of them that have really cool scares or that do cool things with effects. I think Kelly Wan and I have talked about a movie called Grave Encounters, uh, which, which we both really like. Um, Grave Encounters just does some cool stuff with CG and with the found footage conceit. But like many, many horror movies, there's no real meaningful script to it. There's no meaningful characters. Uh, what, what's special and what surprised me about Banshee Chapter is that it's got some really – effective jump scares and creepy bits that are memorable, but I really like the script. I love the story. It, it's deeply indebted to H.P. Lovecraft, but not in the way that uh, that it's like a period piece and not in this weird sexualized Stuart Gordon way. And uh, I, I think it's just taking the kind of stuff that Lovecraft wrote about and making it modern and contemporary. Um, that's a great thing about the script, and I love the cast. You know, the uh, Katya Winter plays... The, who would normally be the typical like cheesecake chick who can't act, but she's hot. But I thought she was really good in this. And when Ted Levine shows up, the guy who made it, a fellow named Blair Erickson, it was his first movie, uh, he just gives them room to breathe. And there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of sh- scenes between the two of them, just just hanging out and, you know, like Dingus mentioned, whether they're peeing or just having a conversation. Um, they're sitting in the car. I mean, yeah, they're just yeah. hanging out together. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, Kelly Wan, you, did you see this? Yeah, I think... I went into it kind of with weird baggage because I was reading this book of short stories with a guy named Laird Barron who was writing kind of similar themes. But I think it maybe raised my bar maybe a little too high because it made me want to, like, see more about the ideas. Well, it's definitely a low-budget horror film, and it definitely does a lot of the usual stuff that low-budget horror does. Uh, It plays a lot with... Like you almost thought, it's almost that sometimes I'm thinking, well, did they plan this to be a found footage movie? That's Uh, the thing. That took me out of it a little bit. Like, who's, like, the camera was shaky, but there wasn't a cameraman character. And, well, at times they do make it found footage. Like, like, uh, Anne has a little handheld camera, and there's times where she's watching footage, and there's a lot of the government surveillance tapes that just gets presented on screen. Um, So I, I feel some of that could be a, a little confusing to a viewer and you might think well it's kind of sloppy and some of it is a little sloppy but, uh, but i liked the premise a lot i liked the radio yeah. and the psychotropic drugs and the state but it felt like it didn't get scary for me till kind of the scene that dingus was talking about which happens sort of later on in the movie right so then by the end i decided like the last 20 minutes were really good and then the first hour she was on the road too much i thought I wish there'd been more jump scares. Right, sure, sure. I, I was creeped out from the beginning. I, mean, I just, I, I and I am creepy. Yeah. I, I love the way that the movie is put together. I love the the. I, I kind of like the. There's sort of an end of watch kind of quality where it sort of feels yeah. like we are going to have found footage and then we're just going to abandon that at some point and that's that. Um, and, and in fact, and as, as I was watching it with Tom, I said, is, is this the first scene where we're not found footage? I don't know what's going on here. And it just sort of tricked me because there's a lot of that government stuff and then non-government stuff. And then we're just having normal footage. Um, and I kind of like that. I like that blending and I didn't question it because I think it's cleverly edited. So I, I was fortunate enough to talk to the director for about an hour. I have another podcast with him that I would encourage folks to listen to if they want to know more, but also uh, just just check it out. It's uh, you know if you're if you're up for 
low-budget horror, I, I heartily recommend it. Dingus, it was one of your favorite things of the year, so I think you recommend it as well. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I do too. Oh, and even Kelly Wand, even it though you didn't make my ten. Oh, it did, yeah, it didn't make mine either, but it definitely was the most surprising thing I saw this year, and pleasantly, too. Uh, and it, it's also, unlike a lot of horror movies, it, it's it's haunting in the sense that I kept thinking about it after it was over. And there aren't many horror movies I can say that about. Um, yeah, right. it doesn't like anything else that I've seen. But the Black Eyes thing is in another – that's another pop- – that's also similar to the Dead Dog thing. Like that's used to – Oh, well, that's a well, comedy. That's Dingus said. I mean that's a trope. I mean that's yeah, – yeah, that's you see that everywhere. Not only yeah. in the ring. Well, and, and because it's freaky. Like it freaks me out. It freaks Dingus yeah. out. It's, yeah. it's, they do it because it works. And, uh, I, even, and I screamed and then I cursed it. I mean it's just like he did a like a curtain thing. I'm going to creep up on a curtain and draw the curtain aside and now there's a guy behind it. Uh, even the uh, the little promo, uh, the ad, the banner ads for the new Paranormal Activity has people with black guys. And I'm like, oh, that's creepy. Don't show me that. That was in the other movies too, wasn't it? Other Paranormal Activity movies? Yeah. I, I don't think so. Don't Did anyone ever guys? have black eyes? I don't remember that. I don't think so, no. I just uh, but you know, I know at least one more movie we're going to talk about that has black eyes in it. So yeah. we'll that in a minute. Okay. Uh, really, Tom. <laughs> what? <laughs> Dingus. Ah, uh, you guys both suck. No, I'm and not. I suck for getting it. No, no, you guys. I'm talking about a movie called A Single Shot. Both of you is a jerk. There are black eyes in that. No, it's about rednecks, Tom. What are you talking about? Okay, another. The next up, we have this movie. Got. I'm not even tell you how many points. This is just another one that was on only one person's list. What? Uh, I know. Really? We're going to see a few of these. My seventh favorite movie of the year um, was a Danish movie called A Hijacking, which we, we all got to see. Oh, uh, Captain Phillips is here. Oh, that was great. Um, and part of my problem with Captain Phillips is I'd seen this really good Danish movie about uh, a hijacking by Somali pirates called A Hijacking. Um the director is a fellow named Thomas Lindholm, uh, and he has written some scripts for Thomas Vinterberg, who's another Danish director, uh, including one for a movie – oh, Tobias Lindholm, sorry – uh, including a, he wrote a movie called The Hunt, which Vinterberg directed this year. Um, but what I love about a hijacking is that it is this uncompromising look at this hijacking of the ship as a procedural, without any heroics, and there's no convenient U.S. Navy inter- intervention here. Uh, and furthermore, it doesn't even show the, the moment that the ship is seized when the, the pirates storm the ship, because it's not concerned with all of that. That's not the kind of movie it is. A hijacking is about... The, the long, tedious days that follow the ship being seized and how people react. Specifically, two amazing performances, one from an actor named Pilu Aspike, I guess, uh, and he plays the cook on the ship. But the one that really stood out for me, uh, an actor named Soren Malling plays the CEO of the shipping company who can't quite come to terms as he's dealing with this with the difference between doing the best thing and doing the right thing. Um, and I so loved that movie. I loved his performance. I loved this unique perspective on a corporation. You know, you might normally think the corporation is just a big, heartless entity, um, but it showed from the top of this corporation how Soren Malin's character reacted to this hijacking. Um, I loved what it did with communication, um, and uh, I loved how it looked. So there you go. That's my number seven favorite movie of the of the year is a hijacking. Uh, Dingus, you saw that and also liked it. I'm crazy about that movie. I th- I think it's a great choice. Um, I I especially like uh, the editing uh, in that uh, the difference between that and Captain Phillips in in 
Captain Phillips showing us sort of the procedures of boarding a ship and uh, hijacking, not bothering with that. That that weird jump from the the boardroom to the men cowering, um, and then then we realize the hijackers are already aboard the ship, yeah. and and they're finding the captain and they're finding the cook. And why are they finding the cook? Why are they going after him? It, it, it immediately leaps into character instead of action and procedure right. and i really really loved at first I, I first the first time i saw that moment i kind of was a little put off by it because i was like oh, how, did, how did they get on the ship Where, where's the action here but then i understood what this movie was driving at and 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 how it was so concerned with what's going on with the character and the character dynamics and how it gets character dynamics in such a better way and a more effective way than Captain Phillips does. Maybe it's unfair to to keep casting it against Captain Phillips, but I can't help it because I watched it that same week we watched Captain Phillips and I didn't care for Captain Phillips. Why why are so many good movies coming out of Denmark? Actually, that's not, nothing new. It's been happening for a while. Kelly Wan, what's going on in Denmark up there that they're making such great movies? Uh, Nina Agdahl. <laughs> Who is that? Oh, uh, really? Is, is she a Marvel she should... su- superhero? What? Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> not a bad idea. I like where your head's at. But uh, for, I didn't see the hijacking, but something that would... Tell sound... me it's a hijacking. Yeah. It's not the about... There are many hijackings. This is one of them. So it was just one of many that week or that day or in the movie. Exactly. Okay, cool. Well, that sounds good. Uh, next up, only Kelly Wan picked this because Dingus and I didn't like it. Kelly Wan, why is your seventh favorite movie of 2013 Nebraska? Oh, Nebraska. I don't think you guys got it. I don't think anybody got it. I'm not convinced Alexander Payne gets it. Because <laughs> I think it looks like it's a, a, a feel-good movie about a guy reconnecting with his senile dad. But I think it's actually just about disillusionment and... Bruce Stern losing it <laughs> and okay. never try to make his character likable mm-hmm. or Alzheimer's a filmable condition that will improve. I thought the cemetery scene was brilliantly corrosive and it just reaffirmed my misanthropy. Does it's it- not just about the townsfolk, it's everybody sucks and our lives are empty rituals we go through out of duty. Yes, uh, and you also, I, I imagine that you sort of. Im- I'm guessing, Kelly Wan, that you imagine yourself in the, you know, 30 years as being like Bruce Dern. Like, that's kind of where you see him and you see your fate in the future, right? Without even a kid to lead me around or buy me a truck. So it's worse in a way. But yeah, he seemed like he'd gotten more tail than I have. (laughs) Well, you're not a famous actor, so. Yeah, that's true. All right. I'm really, so, I'm really glad you picked this, Kelly, because um, when we did the black and white three by three, there was this weird moment in that where um, I pretended like I picked Raging Bull, and then uh, I was just kidding, and then you went ahead and said, it, yours was Nebraska, and I said, no, no, mine's not Raging Bull, it's something else. And you were about, it was this amazing moment where you said, my my choice is Nebraska, and I'm going to tell you guys why you missed it and why it's a brilliant movie. Uh, and then I interrupted you, and, and it's like <laughs> the audience never got to hear why you think Nebraska is a brilliant movie and why we missed the point. I'm so glad you picked it. And well, for the, go ahead, Kelly. 
does anything I just said uh, like does any of that make sense though? Like, well, we, I, it, we also have a whole podcast on it, so there's that as well. Uh, yeah, but I think, uh, I'm not, not going like to win guys over. I don't know if I express myself articulately on that. Well, I'm certainly not going to criticize your pick because we don't no, no, necessarily do that on on a top ten show. But I, I'm really excited that you picked it because I really wanted to hear you talk more about why you liked it so much. And you guys have beaten me down before. Like, I go, yeah, it's true. I guess Pain and Gain's only good in the last three hours. But with Nebraska, I really think it's going to be one of those movies that people don't get for a while, which is another theme of my list. Uh, okay, well, uh, yeah, you know what? That is a theme here. I can see that. Because when you guys well. talked about it, the things that you said didn't work for you was like, the first thing you made fun of was how Bruce Stern was acting like he didn't hear what people said, and so he was just sort of off in his own world. But, like, we never see movies about that kind of character because you can't connect with them, and it's, the audience finds them off-putting. So, to me, it was refreshing. Anyway, Nebraska. All right. so is, he, is he pretending that? Or is he just... No. Uh, uh, never mind. You don't have to go But Will Forday's pretending. Will Forday's pretending that they are connecting... That's something that Nebraska does have going for it, is the star of MacGruber. Yeah, and he's consistent. I think he's getting – I don't know. Kelly Wand, uh, up next is a movie that uh, you and I liked enough to put on our list. For you, it was your 10th favorite movie of the year. For me, it was my 8th favorite movie of the year. Oh, I knew you would like this because it, I think that it has a very 70s vibe to it. It also has black guys in it, black eyes there's a very brief scene with a hallucination where uh, someone's eyes are completely black. Uh, but um, I, I kind of it's like insomnia a little bit. Um, it's called well, yeah, it's called a single shot, and it reminds me in a way of a lot of '70s movies. When I recommended it to Kelly, I said, you know, if you appreciate the conversation, I think you might appreciate this. Yeah, Winter's Bone. You can very much the Winter's Bone. It's the bleak rural hillbilly noir, and that's kind of uh, Winter's Bone. Um, amazing cast. Holy cats, like right and left, awesome people coming out of the woodwork. A lot of Brits. Uh, uh, but you wouldn't know they're Brits. I know. And, and, it's, and furthermore, there are a lot of times you can't understand what people are saying in this movie. The, yeah. the hillbilly argot is so thick. But that's, it makes you work. It, it makes you work, but that's kind of okay. Um, it's like The Wire a little bit. There'll be another Wire callback later. But, okay, good. Yep. But yeah, it's like they are – the answers are there if you hear it. Like you have, if you pay attention, the meanings are clear, and there are there are fairly interesting conversations throughout. I have to say, I think one of the most powerful scenes of the year, and easily what I, I'm just captivated by this scene, and I'm still not even sure what Jeffrey Wright is saying in oh, a lot of yeah. the movie. Jeffrey Wright, it's you the can't drug tell guy. what. He's got this. He's got this incredible, amazing, drunken confession slash exposition that is so heartfelt. But his accent is so thick. He is so incredibly drunk. He's he's literally in a trailer full of brain barnyard animals. Um, and and just the audacity of that scene and his performance in that scene blows me away. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, I replayed it, and I you, you can hear what he's saying if you really attend. But you have to want to. Yeah. And Rockwell, too. Well, the whole thing's like that. Yeah. Um, and I would think, and I think it's like, it didn't make your list, but I'm guessing you liked it. Uh, I would think anybody who appreciated what Rockwell was doing in Moon, where he's, you know, a lot of his performance is, uh, is confusion, um, mm-hmm. would appreciate what he does in a single shot. I love the opening of this movie. I love the whole first. When it's silent. That whole, yeah, him coming out. Uh, Sitting down with his dog, 
having a cup of coffee, getting his gun, going off into the woods. Um, it's just so great. The, the atmosphere, the sense of place is phenomenal. I love the sense of place in this movie that that overturned truck with the the container that the the that's fallen off of it and how did that truck get there and uh, I just I I love the sense of 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 place in this movie and when Jeffrey Wright makes his appearance first of all I was like is that Jeffrey Wright and and that whole first scene where he brings the cousins or whoever they are and <laughs> I couldn't understand in that scene either. I kept replaying like what he's saying what? he says I think he says like I can only take one cousin tonight right 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 um, but I forget what he says before that like how he set it up or something well he, he's brought like one for one for Sam Rockwell and he's trying to convince him because like like I can only take one of them and I think he's talking about the size of her uh, specific body part, and really? it's it, it's really hard to understand what the heck he's saying. I, I love that decoy. Is that even using? Well, yeah, that makes sense actually. I can I can get where he's coming from. On no, that. he's just he's describing his girl, and he's saying I can only take one of them tonight. And can you help me out? And it's just it's just so beautifully that's beautifully his, put yeah. together. I love. I really did love this movie. So since you probably haven't heard of it. Uh, it's basically a mystery slash thriller, but in a seventy cents uh, slash psychological thing. I don't know. It, it's a, it's a very not a period piece, but a setting piece, as Dingus mentioned, the setting uh, about a guy who gets wrapped up with the wrong people. <laughs> um, but the the beauty of the movie is that he's he's at the tail end of a series of bad decisions he's made for a very long time, and these are like even more bad decisions he makes as he gets wrapped up in this plot. And as I mentioned, it's noir. You know, it's very Chinatown, Winter's Bone kind of conversation-ish. Conversation's not noir. I take that back. No, it's but, no country for old men, but if every character was Josh Brolin. <laughs> no, because nobody no. in this movie is really bright, though. It's also about very, I don't necessarily mean dumb, kind of dim or, or not perceptive people. Uh, and Joe Anderson in this, by golly. I love that scene with him. I mean, I... Just uh, yeah, it's just it's dim. What a name! And what character names? Good yeah. lord, Obadiah yeah. Cornish, really? Yeah. That's your name? Daggered Pitt, right? Daggard John Moon. Pitt. John, John Moon. Moon, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy who offers him offers him the job at that farm. Ted that Levine. Guy, that's Ted Levine. That's Ted Levine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, so stupid. I'm an idiot. And I, I adore the, the, right. the actress. I guess she's also British. Ophelia Lovabond, and that's her actual name. What's her name? Uh, Ophelia Lovabond, L-O-V-I-B-O-N-D. Uh, she plays Abby, and she's just adorable. Uh, and I love Wait, that they did she her. the horse riding. She was yeah. the horse rider, yeah. Her, her his his friend. Uh, that was so confusing to me when she rode up. Like, <laughs> I got so confused, and, and I think you're supposed to because like he's waking right. up at that moment. Yeah, it's yeah, a great moment. <laughs> so, it could also be called Deer's Revenge. Just think about it. Mm, very good, Kelly. <laughs> I got right. so upset at that moment where he's like gutting the deer and throwing and it was so weird it was so it's weird and upsetting as somebody who grew up learning how to hunt and then he just takes the haunches and throws the other part it's so weird that whole was, yeah that was west virginia these are your people you you should uh you should understand all that yeah yeah i don't get it <laughs> all right so uh, a single shot we all quite liked it yes uh, eighth favorite movie kelly wants 10th favorite movie uh now we have my tenth favorite movie, Dingus's seventh favorite movie, Dingus. What do you what you, for 
okay, how do you even know who Alice Lowe is? You, you're not qualified to like this movie, apparently, as much as you do, Dingus. <laughs> I don't know how I know her. All right, what's the movie? <laughs> you're so annoyed. <laughs> um, so my favorite quote is, I just want to be feared and respected. It's not so much to ask from life, is it? Um, this is the movie Sightseers, and you are f- quite welcome to step in first to talk about it, even though it's higher on my list. So I saw it uh, earlier this year because um, the the director Ben Wheatley, Watley, Wheatley, uh, he's a fellow who did a a movie called um, The Kill List, which a lot of folks liked. I didn't care for it, but he's got a very he's got a Tarantino esque sensibility, uh, and so I was curious to see what this was. I love Alice Lowe from. Uh, a British series called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Uh, uh, Wait, who's she on that? Who is she's she? The, she's the yeah, main like one, blonde. She's yeah. the blonde. Uh, Garth, Garth uh, Marenghi's Dark Place is to me about the absolute comedic genius of four people. Right. Everybody knows Matthew Holness, Richard Iotti, and Matt Barry. But Alice Lowe, I don't. I, I imagine she got a lot of work on English TV. Uh, She's every bit a, a party to what makes Garth Marenghi's Dark Place work. So I was so delighted to see that she was in a movie, and and, I saw, and, and so much of what makes Sightseers work is Alice Lowe. Yeah, uh, she is so good. It, it's it's a movie about two Brits on a, a sightseeing tour, uh, and the actors Alice Lowe and I think the other fellow is named Steve Oram. Uh, they've been doing sketch comedy about these characters for a long time, and so this movie is them putting their sketch comedy into a script. That they wrote, I believe, with Ben Watley. Uh, but at any rate, he directed this story about them. And it's a black comedy about um, just these two people sightseeing, doing very, very inappropriate things. Um, uh, I wish I'd seen it now. I don't oh, think you, have you would I don't like think it. Ben Whitley wrote it. Okay. Well, you know That's what? That makes sense because it, it seems like very much like their creation. Yeah. Um, but if you'd said it was the Elaine of Dark Place, I would have. I don't get that reference because I don't watch Seinfeld. Ah, uh-huh, you got it. <laughs> oh, darn. Outed me. <laughs> Sightseers. Uh, so, yeah, so Sightseers. And when I saw it, I, I told Dingus, you know, you should see this, but I only half-heartedly, because I, I thought it might be too much black comedy for Dingus. I didn't think you would appreciate it. Well, he hates it black guys. As much. I didn't think yeah. Dingus would appreciate it as much as I did. I thought it might be a little too dark for him. Uh, so Dingus, apparently not. I'm just so crazy about it. I I just, I was just... I'm just completely taken by this movie. I think the the tone is just so weird and right on, and um, you you kind of you see where it's going, but you don't you, you don't see why it's going that way. And it's just it's just got this great sort of feeling. It's like a rowboat. <sighs> it's like a rowboat. Yeah, it, it's just got this great sort of feeling of of love. Of, of the force of love as a force of destruction, yeah. and um, okay, and I'm that. and I'm just crazy. I'm just crazy about the way it it drives forward because of the way these two characters work together. I had no idea uh, of anything that Tom just said that it was it was some uh, sketch comedy creation that they had already made. Um, I I have no idea about it. The only reason I watched it at all is that uh, Tom put it on my radar many months ago, and I only just got to watch it. Uh, today, uh, and uh, and I'm not, I just I'm nuts about it. I think the the I think she is amazing. Alice Lowe has this just wonderful. I mean, her performance kind of reminds me of of the main performance in Goon, but not as. Like, <laughs> 
Dingus, that's beautiful. That's because I'm kind of thinking, wow, I can't wait to hear what Dingus is going to compare this to. But yeah, uh, Sean William Scott in in Goon, awesome. Right. Just 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 not as not as as bright and optimistic, but nevertheless, well, the, almost happy go lucky. I mean, it's got this just the obliviousness of it, yes, kind of, yeah. Exactly. Um, and uh, oh, I was just nuts. I'm just nuts about this movie. And I, 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 just, I hope more people see it. But man, yeah. All right. Uh, it sounds like Kelly Wand is on his way to seeing it. Kelly, we recommend that. You, you especially would appreciate that. Okay. And so the, the way she says Chris is crease, crease, and she's constantly saying crease. Oh, that's what you were doing. <laughs> she says it like it's like like it's part of pants crease. Well, she's, he's ignoring her, too. Like, he doesn't want to talk to her, and she's just doing, like, a little kid thing. Like, she keeps saying his name over and over again. constant. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. <laughs> right. Daddy, Daddy. And it's, it, it, it goes on so often, so much, that you're like, okay, they're doing this on purpose. Crease, 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 crease. Uh, and they are kind of weirdly adorable, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So. All right, so Sightseers. Uh, up next is a movie that only Kelly Wan put on his list, because, uh, again, uh, well, I think it's I liked it, but uh, Kelly Wan's sixth favorite movie of 2013, Inside Lewin Davis. Yes. You guys what? didn't put this on your lists? Well, I guess you'll find – oh, no, you would know by now. No, we did not. Uh, <laughs> I think Dingus and I kind of enjoyed it but thought it was, uh, quote-unquote, minor Coen Brothers. Well, um, yeah, but you thought Nebraska was minor pain. And that wasn't on our lists either. Side. Uh, <laughs> I'm interested to hear wh- why it's so high on your list. What's up? Because I was, oh, I had some of the same thing Tom did, where he was sort of uh, dreading the folk music angle because he doesn't have any interest in that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, and so I kind of was too. But then it wound up being he was an amazing musician, but no one ever liked his music in the movie. Which to me, I guess I like movies that reaffirm my lack of faith in humanity. So, <laughs> inside Llewellyn Davis. Oh, you got to get the you got to get the name right, Kelly Warren. Inside Llewellyn. There you go, because it's it's Welsh. Not Doug Llewellyn. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. not the guy from No Country. And it's not the bailiff from People's Court. No, wait. The announcer. The announcer. The narrator. Whatever he is. He wasn't a bailiff. No. What's he, the guy? That's the guy who can shoot you. <laughs> the yeah, it's, can shoot you're you. right. It's the announcer. I'm Doug it happens a lot, probably. <laughs> Although the judge has a gun too, and, and just uh, so Kelly Wan, did oh, you yeah. did you uh, did you have a frame of reference for Oscar Isaac before you saw it? Because I think that's no, one of the movie's greatest assets. No, he's amazing. Yeah, and he has to be a really good musician for the movie to work because he has to be so good that everyone not liking it is just, like that's the joke. Yeah. Like if he's not that good, the, that that doesn't work. Uh, also, the movie had an appreciation for cats. Appreciation for cats. I keep uh, saying, no, don't spoil anything. Go ahead. Yep. Well, whether there's a paradox or a difference from the beginning, to you're the, spoiling something. So I am okay because I mean, people looked at the way I was crazy when I came out of that, and I said, "Wait, duh, 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 duh. Like, no stoner." Well, suffice to say, the Coen Brothers do something interesting before it's over. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, Kelly, one. I'm afraid I'm going to have to insist while you're uh, catching up on Sightseers. I'm afraid Dingus and I are both going to have to insist that you see a movie called PU239. Is that the uh, Matthew McConaughey submarine movie? No. <laughs> oh. PU239 is, I believe, the uh, – what, what, what do you call the words for chemicals, Dingus? Elements? No, it's not an element. It's the, the something something. The words something, for chemicals. Yeah, it's the something 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 for plutonium or something. Yeah. <laughs> the symbol – is that what you're talking about? The Chemical periodic system. table of elements. Oh, no, it's the code. 
That's the word you wanted me to – wait, your mnemonic device for the word code is what are the chemicals called? It's P, the movie is called PU-239, and it, it's what you call – it's either the code or the, the, the symbol or whatever, the chemical oh, numbers for plutonium. Circumference, <laughs> top ten lists. At any rate, Kelly Wand, it's called PU-239. If you if you enjoyed Inside Lewin Davis for Oscar Isaac, you've, you've got to see that. I'm oh, afraid. he's in the movie, I see. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's how like he was a big part of it. And to me, like the message of the movie is just like you know, success is often arbitrary, mm-hmm. and the public's dumb, and great artists are usually embittered, and sometimes you just dealt a bunch of shit hands in a row, and you just try to grow from your failures, Tom. Thank you, Kelly Wand. I feel like that's uh, that's a valuable lesson for us all to learn. Bob Dylan's going to be next up. So there's <laughs> nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. All right. Uh, next best movie. Next up, uh, a movie that uh, I think we all liked. I'm delighted to see this on you guys' list. Uh, this is a movie that was Kelly Wan's ninth favorite, Dingus's eighth favorite Ugh. science fiction movie called Europa Report. Was it on yours? Uh, no, but I liked it. Called Europa Report. We didn't even do a I don't, we didn't do a podcast on that, did we? Uh, yeah, during a busy season or something. Well, I don't know that it had a theatrical release, did it? Wasn't it one of those just straight you know, video on demand things? I think it was playing for a week somewhere. Okay. Uh, but you guys explain. Uh, Kelly Wan, why don't you start off? Why was Europa Report one of your favorite movies of 2013? Because I thought I was sick of the found footage movies. I thought the catfish bitches had ruined, <laughs> poisoned the well forever Okay. with Apollo 18. They didn't make that, but uh, Apollo... That, that, that. Look, facts are not my <laughs> whatever you call it. But um, it was the most realistic-seeming found footage movie that I'd seen. It, like... NASA's like, yeah, it's pretty much be like, and also, and maybe this is dumb, but the way Lake Mungo, there's like one shot of Lake Mungo that I found myself, like, I didn't want to see it again because it was too creepy after I saw the movie. Mm-hmm. And Europa Report has a shot, like, that's that good at it. Like, the money shot of Europa Report, I think, is perfect. Mm-hmm. And all uh, the acting's good. Yes. Dingus, what put it on your list? Um, a, a lot of things put it on my list. Uh, I I think first and foremost I would have to say I'm totally in love with the editing of this movie. Uh, I think it's it's just incredibly edited, and and I talked about this somewhat when we talked about split screens in our three by three, and uh, and I and I have to there, there's four editors on it. The the editors are Alex Copet, Craig McKay, Livio Sanchez, and Aaron Giannis, and. Um, I just think the editing of this movie is phenomenal. Uh, it. It has this weird feel, and at first I wasn't sure whether I was going to like it because the ship seems so big, and sometimes that's a little off-putting to me because uh, I think ships on this kind of expedition should be a little more cramped, at least if you're trying to go for more realism. Um, But the way they put together so much of the found footage and split-screened it so much with, like, like, I think nine screens or six screens at once and and blending all this together and and when you watch it a couple of times you have to realize okay what what footage am i seeing where um i i just love that and i love how that sort of captures the wonder of this particular expedition and the tragedy of it i mean there's this wonderful tragic element to it and there's also a horror element to it um which makes it the perfect uh, sort of foil for a movie that will be higher up on my list. Um, and 
I, I don't know. There, there's many things. But the, first of all, I would leave with editing. Next is the, the banter of the two pilots. I love the, the way these actors like play back and forth. And Charlton Copley is, is absolutely great in it. And I, it kind of breaks my heart what happens to him. Uh, I don't know. Uh, this movie just took me. I love it. Uh, I, I I was delighted to watch it and think, wow, that lead actress is really good. She looks a little familiar. I don't know what I've seen her from. Uh, a woman, a Romanian woman named Anna Maria Marinka, who was in four months, three weeks, two days. Yeah. Uh, I was delighted to see her. And they, the movie puts a lot in her lap. Uh, yeah. and she definitely carries uh, she's a lot so, of what's going on. Yeah, she's so good. Uh, they seemed really convincing as astronauts, and there was a whole, there was a lot of the sense of wonder about why, where they were, and why they were out there. That for me was was so annoying about Apollo 18. Was those guys just didn't feel authentic at all. They didn't look like scientists. They didn't act like them. That's a pretty low bar to clear, though. <laughs> no, that's true. But, uh, but your report, it did seem like there was a lot of kind of the alien thing where they they send one person out and then that person gets fucked up, and then they send another one out. Like right. they keep splitting up, even though it's like, look, let's just sit here and just talk about it just a little bit before we go off on our one man suicide missions. Uh, all right, Europa report also very good. Um, up next, Kelly Wand. Good lord. Yay! Kelly Wand, your fifth favorite movie of the year. Say it. I want to hear you say the words, Tom. <laughs> the World's End. Ah, see? Wait, you hated that one, didn't you? <laughs> I hated this one, too. So, Which one did you hate more? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think I hated the Simon Pegg one more. Uh, that, is this? This is so Kelly Wand picked the non-Simon Pegg one. He picked This is the End with... Uh, fifth. Fifth best movie. I wanted my top five. I was very... Because I wanted you to see it. Wait, which he picked? This is the end. He picked the one starring uh, Channing Tatum, in, yeah, in Bondage James Gear. Franco and and Michael Sarah. Listen, okay. What? Wait a minute. <laughs> what? All no, right, you're joking. No, the movie. Right. Okay, here I'm going to defend it on several counts. All right, go. One is okay. It caught me. Just certain movies catch you in a certain time in your life, and mm-hmm. it was right when I'd gotten to L.A. So maybe I can't be trusted because it was like I was kind of miserable about being out of Canon back in like the cesspool of the mean. But then this is the end, and like put it all in perspective for me that the city sucks endearingly, and this was the best comedy I saw this year. And comedy, it's such a subjective thing. Like some, no one I've talked to has the same opinion on this movie and World's End. Like, you hate both of them. One guy I know likes, this is the end, hates the other one. I haven't seen World Without End. Dingus, I know, hates both of them, right? Uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen the Simon Pegg one, but I thought this is I thought this is the end was terrible. But I'm not going to assail you. Go ahead. No, no, no. But you liked, you backed your highness all the way down. Over That's the right. Scene, yeah, which is to show, it's just comedy is a very subjective thing. Yes, Absolutely. My, my favorite thing about this is the end is that apparently uh, who's the actress who plays Hermione? Um, Emma Watson. Emma Watson was supposed to be in a later scene, <laughs> but she she really got put out with how much everyone was goofing off and I think smoking pot or whatever on the set. So she and she wasn't comfortable with some jokes they wanted to make. And Seth Rogen and James Franco were probably like, "Well, you know, how can we make this work? What can we change for you?" And she's like, "No, I just I just can't." And she left. <laughs> So I think wow. she was supposed to be in another later scene that did not include her. It wasn't that necessary. Because she kind of leaves on a she's never going to see her again note. 
after some rape jokes, well, which I found quite charming and enchanting, personally. <laughs> she sp- oh, and that just reminds me again. Yeah, yeah like, really. Thanks for reinforcing my opinion there. Yeah, there's, there's, okay, to me, the sign of a great comedy yes, is it's got different sized laughs in it. It's got shit in it that only <laughs> one person in the back row is going to laugh at. And this movie, was, I saw this at a packed house, and pe- different people laughing at different shit for the whole movie. So what's an example, Kelly, one of a, mo- of a comedy that only has one size laugh? <laughs> Um, Blazing Saddles. <laughs> so you're saying, then, you're saying that This Is the End is better than Blazing Saddles because it has different sides laughs. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but I mean... I get what you're saying. Fair enough. But There's I, something about Mary has belly laughs and then, like, cute little zingers. Look, I and Dingus, I know, will feel the same way. As you mentioned at the start of the podcast, I'm, I'm an easy laugh. So is Dingus. I certainly enjoyed parts of This is the End, but overall, it, it was just way too sort of self-indulgent. But remember it, when we... Sort of, go ahead. Right, because it, it, also it wasn't David Gordon Green. So you went, <laughs> TV people, or whatever you say. Yeah, that does sound like me. I mean, not the part, but me saying, but no, it's not David Gordon Green. When we talked about how awesome MacGruber was, yes, and, and we made biggest things, we're both the biggest fucking idiots. That so. movie has different size laughs, doesn't it? It totally does. Yeah, yeah like, right? Just, they're all the same size, goose egg. <laughs> no, it has, it has all the same size. <laughs> but see, the comedy, you can debate these things, and it's pointless anyway, but as drama, it's like, yeah, Sam Rockwell was great in the movie. So in a way, <laughs> if you don't have a comedy in your top ten... You're swinging. You're not swinging for the fence. There, I said it. All right. So if you guys don't have a funny movie besides a single shot, you're gonna get the skunk guy. If I good see point. It. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's soldier on and see if we do. So, so Kelly Wan, your number five, nobody liked. My number five, none of you guys saw fit to put it on your list. I'm pretty sure neither of you liked it. Uh, my number five is a little movie from the director of Tron called Oblivion. <laughs> Hey, I heard is Dingus snickering. Dingus liked it. Dingus. Yeah, that was my that was my favorite comedy of the year. Yeah, see, so uh, Oblivion. Um, uh, what made Oblivion work for me? Several things. Oblivion is in a way just a Tom Cruise powered like, action movie. Like Tom Cruise, a lot of times shows up for a movie and just his sheer he's like fuel for a bad movie. Even something <laughs> like that. Um, what was the one where he plays the the red state action hero? Has a like cracker magnolia. Oh, what was that movie called? Um, uh, Eagle Sprock. No, it's a one. one. Oh, Reacher. Reacher. No, Reacher. Wait, <laughs> what is he in that? I, I wanted it to be Cracker. Please make it be Cracker instead. Is uh, he no. supposed to be Southern? Jack. Maybe? Jack Cracker. That's no, it, no. In Reacher, it's this weird, uh, like very pro-military, pro, like you know, anti-gun control. Um, you know, the, the government, it's like a tea party or action movie. Um, and it's terrible, but even in something like Reacher, Tom Cruise shows up and he just gives it that Tom Cruise energy. And, and that powers a lot of oblivion. And I enjoy that. I enjoy watching Tom Cruise in a movie like Mission Impossible, for instance, the, the, all of them. Um, so that's part of what oblivion has going for it. Another thing it has going for it, and I, I really feel it's important that you got a good cast. I, I, I like Andrea Riseborough a lot, and I feel like this movie finally gave her her due. Uh, she's uh, his sort of partner there. Uh, Olga Kirilenko shows up, and she doesn't Ugh. have much to do, but whatever. She's pretty. She's attractive. Um, Tom Cruise can carry it, the stuff that she can't carry. That works. Um, but, but what I really liked about Oblivion, and what I obviously you guys didn't appreciate as much, um, was were, were some of the twists in it um, and the resolution of it. 
Uh, and, and by the way, along the way, the pacing, I think it's a really snappy movie. It's constantly giving you a new piece of information or showing you something new. Uh, I also think even if you don't like the movie, you've got to give it props for an awesome, awesome, awesome bit of production design. You know, this future that the director imagines, and I want to say Joseph Kaczynski, I think, um, as this kind of Apple iPad looking white, curved clean lines uh, all these touchpad controls that you know the avionics in this movie are fantastic uh i just love the production design in this um so there you go oblivion worked for me a lot and even on a, a kind of an emotionally resonant level you know the the, the message that it eventually ends up telling uh I, I really enjoyed so you know i didn't care for it um but the end was a hugely emotionally resonant for me um and there are a couple things that really worked for me as I thought about it later on. I, I really like the production design of the movie. Um, I really love. I I mean, I, for me, I don't know how to say this, but Tom Cruise can't really do any wrong for me. I love that guy so much. Uh, I like watching him in movies, and from since Night and Day going forward, I think he's great. Um, but there's this one there's one great scene where they're flying the ship and. Uh, the the director really gets the weight and and the uh, the feel of the gravity of of this this chase scene that's going on when they're flying and there's I think there's this moment where he says to her you're okay and she says no um, because of the way the ship has jerked around um, and I really liked that the way that worked so well over, overall I didn't like Oblivion I, it certainly looks much better looking back and there are a few things I really like so I can't really argue with it well like another movie we're going to talk about which I'm sure everyone can imagine for, for me Oblivion was partly a vindication of good CG uh, I, I just you know they what had, they, the objects had weight. I remember you saying. Yeah, well, you know the the little uh, drones that fly around. There's a point where they're banging into stuff, and uh, yeah, and, and the oh, the sound design too, like the noise those drones made with their little. Uh, they have this iconic, not iconic, but this very distinctive trumpety sound that they make. Uh, yeah. The sound of the engines and, and stuff, and uh, yeah, just great sound design in that movie. You sound like so, you're three. I sound like three. What? Wow, and then the binge went room, and then it was totally the thing. The thing. Uh, I am pro Tom Cruise too. I think I remember the reason I didn't like the movie as much as you did was I found it hard to reconcile his not figuring out certain basic things about his environment that would make him not very curious or not very perceptive. Or sympathetic approach. Well, like, so so we, we had a podcast on it, and folks can okay. listen to that. And we, we had a lot to say there uh, about that. Um, so, yeah, fair enough. Um, I couldn't get past it, Tom. Fair enough. Uh, all right, next is uh, a movie that is my fourth favorite of the year. As I was thinking about what I liked, I mean, I always kind of knew I really like this. And as I was arranging my list, this one just kept sort of nuzzling its way up. Uh, almost like a cat or something. And eventually, by the time I had the list, it's like, hey, how did you get there? All right. And it was very, very comfortably curled up at the number four position. Uh, it was Dingus's tenth favorite movie of the year. Uh, and this was Nicole Hall of Center's Enough Said, which was uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, and it was James Gandolfini's uh, penultimate movie. Apparently, he's got some other thing coming out about some crime thriller about a dog or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. 
So this wasn't quite his last movie, but it was uh, the next to last movie. Uh, so I, I really, really liked Enough Said. Um, I'm so pleased this is so high on your list. I thought I would see only one. I thought this was going to be my uh, something different kind of thing, uh, and I'm so glad it's so high on your list. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. Well, watching it again, I, so I've seen it twice this year, and I, I realize I just so treasure movies about adult relationships. Uh, <laughs> movies about, and, and this is about middle-aged people. I mean, so it's adult in that sense, but I yeah. so treasure a, a movie that that shows what it's really like to be older and to have been through a lot and then to try to, to maintain a relationship and interact with other people and, uh, and, and be open to new relationships. And, and it's so perceptive about that. Part of it plays out, uh, a bit like a farce, uh, and that's intentional. Um, yeah. I, I think we said on the podcast, it reminded us in a way of some of Lynn Shelton's movies, which are kind of farces as well. Um, but it's ultimately, I think, a deeply cynical, and I, I can't help but resonate with this, a story about love. And it reminds me of one of Dingus's favorite movies of the year that we'll get to next and I want to talk about in relation to this. Um, but what makes it, what, what makes it so effective are the two performances, the two lead performances, and the chemistry between not just Julie Louis-Dreyfus and James Gandolfini, but all of the characters, because it's fairly generous with its characters. And it also acknowledges, and, and I wish, I, I mean, this, this just, I know plenty of parents, and I know how important children are to their parents, as it should be, and yet in a lot of movies, children are just a fixture for a character. But it, it so acknowledges the importance of these characters' children to them and their lives, um, and what they're going to do with their lives, even though it's not a movie about parents per se. Um, so I love that about it and, and that aspect of it being about a movie about adults. And I just I, I, I'm just captivated by how freaking good Julie Louise Dreyfus is on screen. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't know Seinfeld, but I know her in Veep. Um, I, I, I just I'm, I'm blown away by how good she is and how well Nicole Holofcener, the director, uh, just cashes in on her appeal. Um so, uh, Dingus, uh, it obviously worked for you as well. I I was completely surprised with how much it worked for me. I mean, there's a lot of things that are hard to watch about it. Um, it's you know, about a you know couple dealing with uh, the nuclear fallout from divorce many years later, um, and and dealing with what they're going to do with their kids and how they're going to deal with their kids and how they're going to deal with each other, um, which is really, really hard to watch. Uh, but they, that, a, that a director and a writer can figure out a way to make that funny and that the actors can pull that off is phenomenal to me. Um, there, there are things that, I, I mean, I'm not crazy about this sort of threes company. We're gonna, I'm gonna hide behind this pillar and pretend you can't see me and sneak off into the other room and all that sort of the daughter finally finding out thing. I'm not crazy about that, but I like the way you characterize it, Tom. Um, but the chem, for me, it's just the chemistry between Julie Lou Dreyfus and James Gandolfini is just, it's just too great to ignore. And every single scene, too. I mean, there's not a scene yeah. in there where they're not just both firing on all cylinders and just they, listening to each other and reacting and feeling something with each other. Every single scene. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Even when, the, even in that moment where he says, "You know, you knew what to do, you just didn't do it." Yeah. Um, it's just the chemistry between them. It's just amazing, and and it's that this moment. 
and I, I hate to do this, it's this moment where you just think, God, I wish we hadn't lost him. Because he had so many things that he could do that he hadn't shown us. And th- I mean, this kind of reminds me of, of some of the stuff he did in The Mexican that surprised me right off the bat. But th- this isn't the stuff that we normally see him do. And now... I, I hate that he's not here anymore. I mean, yeah. that's one of the things about watching this movie was I sat there thinking, why? I love this guy so much, and he had so much more to show us, and I hate that he's not here anymore. There, there's no malevolence in, in the character. And Absolutely. That's, not, that's nothing yeah. I've ever seen. I've never seen James Gandolfini cast without there being an implied malevolence. Yeah. And I love that about this. Yeah, that's and he's convincing within that, too. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. From the moment he, he he shows up with her, everything he does, yeah. I mean, there's this moment where they're sitting there on the back porch, like pulling at the lawn. <laughs> Why oh, are you destroying God. my lawn? Yeah. yeah, I just I love the way they act together. I'm I just uh, yeah. I'm so happy that this wound up so high on the list. I'm so happy. Yeah, this just yeah. meant a lot to me. And, and seeing it again, just really. I mean, it, I, you know, you watch it the first time and it unfolds, and there's the farce element, and who knows what, when, and oh, what's she going to do? But you watch it the second time and and just kind of bask in the the performances. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I was yes. just going to say, I feel like they're both so good in the movie. It actually. In a way, maybe ruins the movie for me. Because, <laughs> I can't wait. Explain this, Kelly. Why? Yeah, how, how do you do the math for us here? <laughs> because they're both super likable characters. They're both intelligent. Uh-huh. They both enjoy each other. Like everything's going really well. So for her to so don't, don't spoil anything. So be careful, because maybe to do the rom coms, dumbass, the spoily. Okay. Okay. Like, to fuck it up with the lie. Um. She gains nothing from it. She keeps it going way longer than it would be. Right. Well, again, as as with some of Lynn Shelton's movies, it's 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 based on a, a kind of a farce. I mean, it is a comedy, and it's going to have that sort of contrived element that a comedy needs to be funny. It can't just be, hey, these people are awesome. Let's watch them have a relationship. Right. Uh, so you're right. It does have to do that, Kelly. Warner. Right. But Lynn Shelton, it's like they sort of edge into these weird decisions, and then they look back and like, wait, wow, we really were going to think of doing that. But in this, it's like a long term thing that occurs over months. Of Time. Okay, and that is where I feel it's a deeply cynical movie about love. It's about how relationship, once you get to a certain point in your life and you've gone through the young falling in love thing and you acquire baggage and you have this emotional exhaustion or whatever you want to call you it. become psychotic. <laughs> well, once you've gotten to that point, it's really easy to poison a relationship. And I, I feel that that is the, kind of the point of Enough Said, is that it's almost a cautionary tale about poisoning relationships. And and, and that's why it, it also makes me think of Dingus's um, third favorite movie of the year. So Enough Said was my fourth favorite, pretty high on the list. Dingus's third favorite movie of the year, I also thought of, as Dingus and I, I don't think we've talked about it much, as a deeply cynical view of love. And I'll be curious if maybe Dingus disagrees with that. So, Dingus, why don't you segue over to explaining what your third favorite movie of the year is and why you liked it. So is it is it only on my list? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really liked it. Kelly hasn't seen it. Uh, I really liked it a lot, but it, it, it you know, I, I like ten other movies more. Um, All right. That's that's cool. I just was making sure. I don't know why. It, it, so my third favorite movie of the year is Her. Um, and um, I just love this this description of falling in love <laughs> i love that i love this this description and this depiction of how two people fall in love and one who's becoming a person 
Um, it's it's just you know we saw it. We went to see the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and then we oh. went over to see her. <laughs> I want to hear more about that actually. <laughs> you, don't. You, you don't. You don't. You heard enough about that when Tom talked about corporate logos. Um, uh, but I hate you both. <laughs> You're so you mean to me. You make me do this for years. Um, I I'm. I'm crazy about the performances, and I'm. I really, really love that. That I, I don't know what you're talking about when you when you're sort of talking. I, I should probably ask you to elaborate more on what you're talking about. Your deep, the deeply cynical view. Oh, oh, right. So I, I came away from her, and I don't feel that everybody has to come away from the movie with this perception of it. Uh, it's uh, it's a. Um, I keep wanting to say Charlie Coffin, but it's not. It's a Spike Jones movie. He wrote right. it. Um, and my takeaway from it, and part of the brilliance of it is I don't think you necessarily have to come away from it with this takeaway, is that it's a movie about how, how love is basically impossible, that people change – that change is inevitable. People will change. People will be out of sync. And although they might briefly be in love, it, it cannot be sustained, uh, and it will hurt you. Um, that's my takeaway and that it is cynical, even though – I feel it kind of pulls its punch at the end. I don't want to get too much into that, but I think that's ultimately what the movie is saying, and that's certainly what I felt that it said to me. That's and I think it that's, is. But I think, that, I think that that's kind of cynical. It doesn't have to... Well, who knows if it has to what be What do you mean? Way. What's the... you saying you stay in love for decades. Uh, I'm just saying that that's, that's a cynical take. You know, I... If we want to talk about me personally, I think that the being in love is, is kind of a, a myth. You have a relationship with someone. It's not always going to make you happy. You make compromises. You work at it. This idea of being in love does not sustain a relationship. But, but, but I think the point of her is that relationships, uh, people will get in sync and they will fall out of love and that the, the relationships will, will pull apart and they will leave each other and they will be left in pain. Um, so I think that it's kind of cynical saying that it can't work. So Dingus, is that I, – I, I don't know. Was that your takeaway? Did you feel it was more optimistic? Uh, do, you, do you feel that's an even fair uh, perception of it? Uh, I, I felt much more optimistic about okay. it. I mean, I mean w- w- there, I'm interested in sort of listening to you. I, I like hearing you talk about the word cynical here because one of the things that Amy Adams says in, in the movies is that – is that uh, falling in love is basically insanity. It's like it's like it's an act of insanity, um, and so it's interesting to hear you couch this particular movie in terms of cynicism, um, because I I don't necessarily see it that way. Um, I do see it more hopeful, and especially at the end of the movie, which I I don't want to give away. Um, and that's where I say it's kind of pulling its punches. Is that it, if it was really as cynical as I'm saying it is, I don't think it would have ended the way that it ends. And you know, and I, I thought it was going to end differently based on the setting. Uh, I, I was thinking things were going in a different direction. Um, but I think what what is happening to the character and what essentially I love about the movie is. I, I love Joaquin Phoenix's performance so yeah. much, and that's um, so. Fr- I mean, it's it's almost all him. That that guy talk about carrying a movie. Like it's so much him, his face. He's alone on screen. There's yeah. nobody with him. Uh, it's a remarkable piece of work. And I think back to like I watch as I was watching her. Part of what's sort of spinning in the back of my head is 
huh, I should watch The Master again. No, see, the opposite. I was like, I don't want to watch The Master well, again. But the thing about it, he's so committed in The Master, even though I don't think The Master yeah. works, it's yeah. a fascinating movie, and he's fascinating in The Master, and it makes me think, you know, I really like watching him in this movie. I'll even want to watch him in a movie that I didn't like. <laughs> like, that's kind of what, what I was There's a lot of good scenes with him in that movie. And there are, yeah. It's really um, good. Uh, well, I'm just thinking about in The Master, how he, all of his weird physical contortions and how, how it seems so overwrought and, and like, and it's just so weird. No, but it's and, weird, and that's part of it. Though. Like his weird connections with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just icky well, and weird. Yeah, but well, you're right. And now that sort of makes more sense now uh, because he's not doing any of that here. He's just right. he's just calmly driving this movie in a beautiful way, and and that combined with the incredible vocal performance of Scarlett Johansson, which uh, I mean I watch her in another movie where it's like oh, okay all right do i have to watch you uh because she's a gorgeous woman but <laughs> Dude, wait whoa, i don't think whoa, she ever said those words about yeah. scarlett johansson movie what a piece of shit i'm sorry i thought i saw i'm sorry i saw another movie where i had to watch her act and it was painful <laughs> after hearing her act because Here's dwayne johnson when i need him well it, it's the movie don john i mean walking watching her sort of just vamp through Don John was difficult after hearing her work through this because her vocal performance in this is brilliant. It's uh, it's it's one of the best performances of the year, and and the way they work together, even though they're not actually working together, but no no act no performances in film, almost no performances in film are working together. I mean. Uh, film performances are shaped by directors and editors. I mean, wait, what? Well, Dingus? Oh, okay, so Dingus, I'm going to have to call you out on this because watching watching Julie Louis Dreyfus and James Gandolfini okay. sit in All the right. same seat. Right. But and, and the thing case about Scarlett, I don't want to distract from what you're saying because I do think she's very good. I, I loved listening to Scarlett Johansson in this, and a lot of it is the baggage of just knowing how she's just a beautiful woman, and I've liked her in in other movies. But she's been on my computer before. <laughs> she, she did not. She was not present when they shot this movie. Her performance right. is all EDR, which right. I think is also remarkable. They had Samantha Morton doing the the voice on set, and then that for whatever reason didn't work. So Spike Jones. After they shot the movie, called her in to to work. So she never directly worked with Joaquin Phoenix. Whereas you you, you know clearly James Gandolfini and and Julie Louise Dreyfus direct interaction and it shows. So, but I do think part of the genius of her is that even though there was none of that kind of direct interaction, it tricks you into thinking there's a connection between them. Right. right. Uh, that def- sounds better for the performances is not having. Is not having what. You don't want them to be interacting if you want to keep it like her sound more disconnected. You know what? I should see the movie before I start making. It. No, you don't want them to be disconnected. I mean, uh, I or think just like a barrier there. I think I'm sort of saying the same thing Tom has, but we're saying it in different levels. Yeah, um, I'm not saying anything. Uh, I am amazed at the chemistry that appears in her, even though that chemistry can't really be. In the room, and and Tom's right. Uh, you know, uh, I'm kind of making. I'm sort of being cynical and saying that editors shape performances. Um, 
when, well, the, you, when you look at the chemistry between James Gandolfini and, and uh, Julia Lee Dreyfus, that's undeniable. That's clearly in the room. But the beauty of what's going on with her, Dingus, is I, I feel that's the point. I mean, that's so yeah. vital yeah. to the narrative of yeah. what the story is about. You know, the guy falls in love with a computer operating system. That's a uh, spoiler. Uh, uh, that's that's just yeah yeah that's that so gets to the you know the kind of chemistry they have and the fakeness of it and the fact that they weren't even on the same set at the same time. As far as I know, they never even met. Yeah. Uh, that that to me is is just part of the brilliance of of the movie. Her. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was how De Niro and Ben Stiller deliberately didn't meet before Meet the Parents. That's ironic. And they still haven't met. <laughs> also, uh, in her, uh, one of my favorite little things is uh, that little safety pin. I love that safety pin. Oh yeah, just the functionality of it, and it, yeah. it kind of shows that hey, he's he's a smart guy. <laughs> you know, yeah. this guy this guy's not an idiot. I, I never would have figured that out. <laughs> but it's also a design choice. It's it's they could have designed uh, one that would work in the pocket, but they decided not to. And it's this weird little uh, flipping like card deck kind of a phone, and it won't work in a pocket. They they could have solved that, and they chose not to. And I love that safety pin. If, if you like sci-fi, I, I just feel the production design yeah. of her, you, you cannot, I mean, the, uh, Spike Jones' vision of the near future is, is just a thing of beauty. And it's every bit as, uh, did I say this a podcaster to a friend of mine? But at any rate, it's every bit as uh, impressive as Blade Runner. But in a different way. Yeah, you say, not, you, you say that every podcast. No, you you did say that, and uh, and I totally agree uh, because it's it's seamless for the present, and because I think her is basically supposed to take place sometime before, sometime after tomorrow. <laughs> I, <I'm, laughs> that should be the name of a movie. <laughs> exactly. <Jake Gyllenhaal. laughs> the day after uh, yesterday. I mean. <laughs> Look at Inga's quoting sideways on the podcast. Very good. Uh, all right. So uh, her, Kelly Wan, yeah, that's another. So Kelly Wan, write down uh, what? Sightseers, PU239, and her. Are you keeping a list there? Hang on. Homework. All right. So uh, here's another one that only appeared on my list, and it's also my favorite movie of, of 2013. Oh. So, so there are plenty of movies that, that we all liked in, in common this year. Uh, I saw this movie earlier in the year, and a friend of mine who really liked it and saw it before me said, oh, you're going to love it. In fact, I bet it's going to be your favorite movie of the year. And I, that sort of set up high expectations, and I watched it and then thought, oh, he's, he's crazy. It's good. I liked it. But no, that's not my favorite movie of the year. And again, it was sort of the thing where you write a list of the movies that you really liked, and you, you order them around, and you think, okay, which one did I more resonate with? Which one meant more to me? Uh, okay, this one's going up. Okay, this one i got to bring down a few notches. Uh, and so by the time the list was over, my friend was right. And my favorite movie of 2013 was Frances Ha. Um, and to explain it, I think, has a lot to do with how much I really like watching directors who appreciate what they have in an actor. And Francis Ha, which is directed by Noah Baumbach, was co-written by him and Greta Gerwig. Um, and it's all about every single scene in Francis Ha just kind of crackles with how freaking awesome Greta Gerwig is. Um, it's shot in black and white. Um, it is, and, and the black and white makes her look so elegant. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. But, but, but part of the irony is she's a really awkward character. Um, you know, she's a dancer who's not a very good dancer. Uh, she doesn't have natural grace. And there are even times in the movie where it doesn't 
seem like she fits in her own body. Like she doesn't know what to do with her hands or who to look at or how to talk. There, there are parts of Frances Ha that make me think of Jeff Bridges in Starman. Uh, and, and, and so the fact that she is so amazingly gorgeous in black and white is this dramatic irony, sort of. Um, it's so focused on New York. It's a very black and white, loving, almost Woody Allen style look at New York. Um, but, but what I, I love about Frances Ha most is that it is a love story that is not about romantic love. Um, and I, I want to divert briefly to talk about something called uh, the Bechdel test, which is something that gets brought up a lot. It's from a comic uh, strip back in, I think, the 80s, uh, where the, the, the writer of the strip, a woman named Alison Bechdel, <clears throat> she had the characters in the strip talk about uh, how few movies have conversations between two women that is not about a man. And Frances Ha is, is one of those rare movies, and this isn't important to me personally, but I do appreciate when this happens, that would so clearly pass that test with flying colors. Because although the character has relationships with men, she talks about it, it's primarily about her relationship with her friend. Um, and it reminded me in a way of a movie called I Love You, Man, which was like a romantic comedy, but with two characters as, as the leads. Uh, and this is like that, but not as a goofy romantic comedy. It, it, it's as, as a drama, kind of. It, and not even a drama, because that makes it sound like important things are going to happen and there's going to be a meaningful narrative arc. And, and there is, but, but the structure of the movie is more observational. And this is where Noah Baumbach is so incredibly good and skilled as a, as a filmmaker. His powers of observation, observation, they just knock me out in movies like Greenberg or Squid and the Whale. Um, and there's so much of this, uh, these, these small observations just throughout uh, Francis Ha. Uh, my favorite scene of the year. And I had to think about this to decide if this was true, but I'm sticking with this. My favorite scene of 2013 is Greta Gerwig. The character has just come back from New York to visit her parents in San Diego. And the way Noah Baumbach shoots a lot of the movie, they're just quick little edited slices of life, literal slices of life almost. You see a character in a situation, and he just cuts. He'll cut in and out of moments without the normal Hollywood lead in and lead out. It's just you visit this moment briefly, then you go to that moment, and you go to that moment. So this character who's struggling with her life in New York and her relationship with her friend, she goes back to her parents in San Diego for the holidays. And, you know, everybody can attest to what it's like, you know, what the holidays do to you and what visits to your family do to you and how they make you call into question your life and how it can be grating and how it can be difficult. And, and so there's one scene where she has just been with her parents, and Noah Baumbach just shows us this as a few little slices of activity. And there's no real even there's no real dialogue here. It's just showing us this. So her parents have taken her back to the to the airport, and she's riding an escalator up to get on her plane, waving goodbye to her parents. And my favorite scene, my favorite shot of 2013, is Noah Baumbach just holding the camera on Greta Gerwig's face as she's riding up this escalator, waving at her parents, and these. These various emotions pass across her face, uh, and it's such a weird, powerful moment in a weird, unlikely place that says so much about this character. Um, so uh, there you go. Frances Ha just really uh, just meant a lot to me. Uh, she's so amazing. Noah Baumbach as a director is amazing. It looks great, uh, and I love where it ends up. I normally like more cynical, darker movies. Uh, there's just something so... Uh, affirmational 
that even a word uh, about Francis Ha <laughs> in the end. Um, Why didn't you foist this movie on me harder? You didn't oh, you didn't see it. I, I would have thought you'd have said it. So, Dingus, you saw it, and we didn't talk much about it. Uh, I presume you liked it. How could you not like it? Um, no, I loved it. Yeah. yeah. Well, good to know I have a bomb, but <laughs> Thanks for no. mentioning it. I said if you... You should have seen it. Uh, Tom has posted a couple of great GIFs from it. Uh, there's this one GIF of her doing these, like, uh, turns across a crosswalk that sort of encapsulates her dancing ability and and th- that whole, like, subset of her trying to get a dance job and what she's going to do with her life and where she's living. I, I loved her. I absolutely loved her. Okay, it that's Prince Dingus real quick. Just now you describing it. Remember in Shame when Michael Fassbender goes oh. running along the streets of New York <laughs> and it's a long tracking shot and we were all like, well, yeah, that was kind of interesting and I had some sort of highfalutin interpretation of it, but it, it's that done right. <laughs> it's Noah Baumbach just tracking Greta Gerwig after she's gotten good news. David Bowie's Modern Love is playing. It's a, it's one of the few little musical sequences in there uh, and, it, and it's just thrilling. Uh, yeah, and she's so awkward. She's so adorable awkward spinning around like that absolutely yeah uh but i but i'm predisposed to really love her and i love adam oh god i'm driver adam i love adam driver i love that he's in this uh i love the cat make the make i want you to do the dialogue from the scene where he touches her shoulder go i can't come on it's just here goes just Like that. It's what you say to oh, your daughter right. when, yeah, when she does something she's not supposed to. Uh, yeah, I, I really did like this. I, I thought it was lighter than uh, than you're interpreting. I'm surprised that it's your number one movie of the year, but I'm very pleased with the way you described it. I think it's about time, it's for you to see, time for you to see it a second time, Dingus. And Kelly, why is it time for you to see it a first time? Uh, yeah. yeah, hey, thanks for telling me about it. I guess I'll look it up. <laughs> Screener copy, people. How could you not know that, uh, that Fr- Francis Ha is out on DVD now? How could you have not uh, known? It's a Noah Baumbach movie, Kelly. I Wong. said, look, if give me one movie. If I, there's one movie on the list I should watch, and then... Well, we gave you a few. You and, mentioned, and yeah, we're, none, this was We're going to be talking about those, the ones that we did give now, you shortly. Also, do, do, do you have an award based around this movie, Tom? Uh, about Greta Gerwig? No, all of my awards were, are to movies that I wanted to talk about that uh, I didn't put. Okay. Do, you have, do you have an award for it? If you do, bring it up. No, I don't have an award for it, but I but I think if, if I were to build an award, all of a sudden it would be greatest title reveal. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's one of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's one of those when you're like, why is it called that? And uh, when you finally find out, it's a, it's a lovely little moment, yeah. Uh, I wish I could participate in this because you didn't tell me to see it. <laughs> it's well, Kelly, fine. Let, let's bring you into the conversation by bringing up your fourth favorite movie of the year, Dingus' sixth favorite movie of 2013. Kelly Wand, why did you like All is Lost? Oh, so All is Lost. Because A, that title applies to everything. And B... <laughs> so does The Happening, by the way. <laughs> uh, that applies to nothing. It applies to everything. It's of all the movie. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So A is because you like the title. What was B? I cut you off. Sorry. He was uh, um, gay for anything nautical. Because mm, you're reading the uh, the Aubrey Jackson books. Yeah, Master Commander. How are you, did you finish it yet? You finished the first one? I was busy watching All is Lost. I'm sorry. <sighs> did you know what the rope was called? A shroud. Okay. Wait. Well, did if there had been more dialogue in All is Lost, I might have known that. Now, wouldn't I have? No, there's no dialogue. But that's the thing that makes All is Lost great, is it's a story told entirely through textures. Mm-hmm. 
That's all I had to say. <laughs> uh, Diggis, what made it work for you so well? Redford. Oh, Redford, boy, texture, boy, his skin, his hand, absolutely. Love it. Sure, sure. Almost as good as uh, uh, Liam Neeson's skin in The Gray. <sighs> if we may shelve mention of that abomination for a moment, um, there's some about old dudes imperiled by ocean shit that's somehow more... Because you know they're only out there if they're veterans, so it's full-on Rocky Four. So you're basically saying old men and the sea are meaningful to you. Yeah, together. <laughs> it's the most ancient bromance of all. And that's it's a- most coral is made of human skulls. I don't think that's true. Diggis, uh, <laughs> what made it work for you? Uh, what made this? What made all his loss work for me is... This is going to sound weird. Is everything the movie doesn't tell us? Mm-hmm. So, um, at the beginning, he says, "I'm sorry. I know that means a little at this point, but I am." Um, and and J.C. Chandor um, doesn't really tell us what that means. Yeah, and I love that. Uh, there are two things I usually don't really like, or that I'm. Uh, wary of. One of those is I usually hate uh, eight days earlier kind of stuff, <laughs> mm-hmm. which happens in this movie, but I think is really well done here. When it's well done, I love it. Usually I hate 48 hours earlier. I think it's a crutch. I think it's horrible when when we see the most exciting thing and then earlier. Um, the least exciting. I loved it here because I want to know how did we get, how did we end up at the point where he's saying, I'm sorry, I know that means little at this point, but I am. Um, and obviously wedded with this is, I'm very critical of voiceover usually. And, and I love both of those. I, I love that. I'm, I'm sorry, I know that means little at this point, but I am. And I, I love that they don't tell me why he's saying that specifically. I, I love knowing. I, I, I should say I love wanting to know how we got to the point where he feels these things. Why he's this guy who's compelled to be out on the ocean alone. Uh, I love all the familial imb- implications that are embedded in that, in that voiceover, um, and as well as the implications of his apology. Um, I'm just so curious about that, and I'm not frustrated by it, which is weird, because uh, often when you have that kind of loose end, you're frustrated by it, but I'm not. And um, I don't have any question about the end. I think I... I mean, we kind of went back and forth about it. I'm not going to talk about it right now. Uh, But I, I just... I loved the way this movie dealt with a man being alone and... And just being uh, certain and um, apologetic and uh, competent. Yeah. The, the competency and the way Robert Redford plays that competency and the way that it, the, the filming is done for it. And for the most part, from his like point of view, aside from a couple of things, um, I, just, I just think that the movie is incredibly well edited and beautifully sound designed yes. uh, I, I just can't get I can't get away from thinking about um, 
what it would be like to be in that situation. Uh, so Do you not watch things. this on your freaking iPhones? Although you might think it's a small, intimate movie, and it kind of is. It's all from his perspective, most of it. But don't be thinking, I'm going to watch this on a computer. Watch this with good sound. Uh, this yeah. is one of those movies you would think, oh, that's really? Or watch it at sea. Mm, no, sea is noisy. Don't go yeah. to sea to watch it. Please, please see it in a, with, a, with a good sound system. Uh, so because Kelly, it, it just knocks me out. Kelly Wan said something about in Oblivion about, ah, I didn't feel the character's motivations or that Tom Cruise would do those things or, or whatever. He cast aspersions on a sci-fi movie, which it's science fiction anyway. The character can do anything. <laughs> Wait uh, a minute. One of the things that I want to say is, in contrast, I, it's so refreshing. Dingus mentioned Robert Redford's competence in this. It's so refreshing to see a movie about an imperiled character who didn't get that way by doing something stupid. Uh, and I just love that. Right. I love that it's not a movie about bad decisions. And that I'm sorry is so intriguing because you do get the sense that, hey, this really competent guy who's doing all the right stuff did at some point in his life make some bad decisions yeah. and hurt someone. Uh, and it's haunting to hear that and not know what they are and then watch him making all the right decisions but still having these things happen. He could uh, be writing to someone who's dead. Kelly Wan, we don't – yeah, who knows? Okay, you know what, Kelly Wan, if that's your interpretation, run no, with that. Just saying, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't <laughs> trying to – I – <laughs> I mean, I, I I just wanted to affirm that's a that's a perfectly valid interpretation. Well, he also long. reads it very stilted, um, and I think it, that's deliberate because he writes it when he's pensive and yeah. and when all is lost. Uh, t- uh, take a drink, Kelly. One, you said the title of the movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, you guys know what time it's of. Oh. Mercy. Ah. Oh, sweet. Remember. This is now time for the first movie that all three of us have on our list. <laughs> on the list. How's that possible? That's right. We have all come to, uh, at this point, agree that this is one of the top ten movies of the year. The only one we agree on? <laughs> no, no, no. We agree on other ones, but up to now, it's all been something that had uh, two people. So, uh, let's, let's, let's see. How did we order this? So, your next is... Kelly Wan's eighth favorite movie. Way under, my sixth the favorite end. movie. My sixth favorite movie and Dingus's fifth favorite movie. So Dingus, uh, since you apparently liked it most, explain to us why you, of all people, would put a slasher movie on your top ten list. Because I'm the fastest, but I've got this fucking arrow in my back. <laughs> it's also uh, the sharpest. I, I totally, I just totally didn't expect this. I, I you know. I just didn't expect this. I, I, a crazy great time seeing this is it's this, my second favorite viewing experience of the year. Um, I'm not used to seeing slasher movies. I tried to go to them uh, with friends as a kid when I was, you know, when I was a teenager, but I was terrible at it. I wasn't up to it. Uh, but I love I love doing it now. And going with a bunch of friends to see this particular movie was a freaking great experience. And it was not what I expected. I didn't expect it to be. Such a such a hilarious and exciting and frightening movie. I mean, just it it's great. It's just I don't know what to say. Tell you what, what made you put this on your list? Sharni Vincent. Oh, why can't she yeah. in every movie? <laughs> my one of my favorite images is her in the window that you put on that you posted on the uh, on the. Uh, uh, the, the image for one? the for our podcast. Yeah, I would well, fuck the axe. Kelly Wand. Oh. Uh, everyone knows from Step Up 3D that Sharni Vinson is so oh, goddamn sexy. Uh, 
But what we didn't know is that she was actually just really good it, with this incredible ensemble cast, by the way. So this is uh, directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Barrett. They had previously done a horror movie called uh, A Horrible Way to Die, which was so performance-driven. Yeah. And what? No, I was just going to say I get to watch Horrible Way to Die because we watched this, and I really love that movie. And and so they took these really powerful actors from there, and they put it here, and and you know there's a lot of great ensemble acting here, and a lot of uh, unexpected deaths. And wait a minute, you can't let that character go. No, you can't let that character go. And and Sharni Vinson is the one who ends up being just the most memorable character. And the twist about her, I mean, I just love what they did with her in this movie yeah. so much so that this movie, your next, this movie made me watch Blue Crush Two. <laughs> Who's in it? Sharni Vincent, I told you, oh, yeah, she's okay. the villain. I'll watch it tonight. Well, no, no, don't watch it, because I think I talked about it on the podcast. I thought it was a movie where the girl gets her arm, the surfer gets her arm bit off by a shark. That's not Blue Crush 2. So I kept waiting for that to happen. It never happened. Sharni Vincent, they do nothing with her in know. Blue Crush 2. Kelly, watch Step Up 3D. Seriously, I'm not at all joking. If you want to go about Sharni Vincent, Step Up 3D will have plenty of fodder for you. Um, fodder. But, but what really made the movie work for me is that it is simultaneously an homage to and a subversion of slasher movies. I am not. I think slasher movies have been so creatively bankrupt for so long, um, and and I loved what this movie did with that that with that subgenre of horror. Uh, it's dark. It's suitably gory. Um, but a cool thing happens that as the movie is going along, Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett. They kind of let you off the hook and say, okay, now we're just going to have a really good time. Uh, yeah. And they do. It, it is ultimately such a thrilling, exciting. They're not even funny. trying to scare you anymore. It's more like, all right. Yeah. yeah and it's funny without winking, too. Yeah. And I the, love that about it. It keeps working. It's the, it should be like if these tone lapses occurred in any other genre, do you what? Yeah. But in this, is, it's. But also, Sharni Vincent, too. I think I said this on the, your next podcast was like, she scratched the itch that was left wanting after the evil dead remake where they didn't have a bruce campbell character right right but you don't notice in the background at first because she's kind of set up as a gold digging chubby chaser oh tell you he's not fat it's just his face oh for her yeah, come on <laughs> it's just big bone but then you know you're not really paying attention to her because there's other shit going on and she's obviously well, gonna be right. killed off early and then uh, you right. know uh, and uh, does the accent help kelly wand what well, doesn't help <laughs> I don't think it shifts tones too much, though. No, no, but it's uh, wackier. No, I got to disagree because Dingus so much of there's like terrible things that happen to characters you care about, but by the time the movie is over, it's just it's just having a ball. I think yeah. the guy, the stabbing one. That, that, careful, let's not let's not spoil it. I'm gonna say that could be anything, but <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but that's, and I don't know that it. it wait, I wouldn't stop. say shifts tones because that implies something abrupt or not earned. Yeah, that's, I feel that's like what I meant. Yeah, it definitely segues into a different kind of movie it's before it's, it's over. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it feels very confident. It doesn't feel confused. Um, but I think it's totally smooth, and I and I think yeah. that 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 song that you just played is a really great sort of harbinger of the movie we're going to see. And I love how often the song is because I'd forgotten this rewatching it. How often the song is used because uh, you see you hear it at the beginning of the movie and then that part's over and I was like, oh, I, I remembered the song having more of an impact. Yeah. But then it, it comes back a few more times and of course they play it over the credits. But I love how much mileage they get out of what is ultimately just this kind of dippy 
yeah. 70s pop song that I'd never right. heard before. Like, I don't have any, I don't know who Dwight Tooley is, and I don't, I, uh, you know, if I were to hear some oldie that I grew up with, I could understand liking it this much, but I have no idea why I like this song so much. But if a girl put it on after we had sex, I'd go, ah, she's a keeper. Well, All right, three by three song now. <laughs> now we're going to have to put the White Twilly Band in. All right, so uh, there we go. Uh, you're next, made everyone's list. Uh, and on that note, this next movie also made everyone's list. My ninth favorite movie of the year, Dingus's fourth favorite movie of the year, and Kelly Wan's number one movie of 2013. Kelly Wan, why don't you explain what this is? Upstream color, brah. It's partly a buffer so Dingus can't make fun of me next year for Bradley <laughs> no, Cooper movie. Right, it's no King Speech or Silver Linings. Yeah, okay, right. What, so, what number is it on Kelly's? It's his favorite movie of the year. Yeah, it's wow. the best movie I saw in 2013. I thought it was the most interesting movie I saw this year. I thought it was the least like any movie I'd seen this year, and it was the movie that stuck in my head the longest of any movie this year. So those were my criteria. So Kelly Wan, have you seen A Horrible Way to Die? No, but she's okay. in it, right? She's in it, and she drives that. She is so much. And same with oh. same with AJ Bowen. Well, AJ Bowen is kind of the payoff, but she is so uh, much a reason why a horrible way to die is really good. And you obviously know how good she is from Upstream Color, yeah. so put that on your list too. But uh, okay, you say it's so unlike anything you've ever seen before. Isn't it just like a Terrence Malick sci-fi thing, though? Yeah, that's true. That's a good. Point. <laughs> Wait a minute! I didn't mean for that to be so effective. You're supposed <laughs> you're supposed to rebut. Take it off my list. Which <laughs> Terrence Malick sci-fi movie are you talking about? Tree of Life, what, Badlands. Oh, um. <laughs> well, yeah, it is science fiction. I'll, it's also like it slid down my list because I wasn't sure. I'm not sure it's possible to comprehend the movie without reading up on it afterwards. I'm not convinced you can figure it out by well, watching. or at least talking it out or or. Un- unraveling threads or considering it. I mean, it's definitely something that, that is very rewarding for a long time after you've seen it. Yeah. yeah. You feel like a genius. You go, oh, correct. But it's like, and it's like the director, his intent, as stated, is kind of different from what I picked up from just the movie. Like, uh, like his take on a, on a homicide that happens in it is completely the opposite of, oh, big mistake. Jesus. What the community thing? Upstream color? <laughs> Where those words don't have any meaning here, Tom. Um, but, um, yeah. So what what made it stand out f- for me is that uh, Shane Carruthers is the guy who directed, he wrote it, he starred in it. I think he edited it. Um, he had done another movie called Primer ten years ago, and Primer I don't like as much. I don't like as much, and Primer had some cool concepts and it, it had some interesting direction, a lot of cool fly on the wall stuff as things were happening. It unfolded in a weird Get it? way. Um, no, put Primer on the wall. The put it on a car. Oh, you put it on a wall too? I've never painted a wall. Uh, cars, the okay. side wall. Uh, what are talking about? <laughs> uh, but uh, so so Primer, I wasn't crazy about, and one of the things that was missing in Primer was an emotional hook. Uh, Primer was kind of cold and distant, scientific, uh, very Nebraska. very dispassionate. Um, Upstream Color is is nothing at all like that. Upstream Color is so powerful with the emotional hook and with Amy Siemens's performance. And one of the things that Shane Carruthers does. Starring in the movie, Shane, also Shane Carruth. Shane what? Carruth? Oh, jeez, Carruthers. I'm thinking Girl of my. Alert. I'm thinking of my third grade geometry teacher. Sorry, uh, true story. Uh, one of the things that Shane Carruth trouble. does, casting himself. <laughs> the Wooded Tight Easter Conference. Uh, it's not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> 
Uh, it's not third grade a, it's, geometry. What the fuck? <laughs> you just dropped that like it was nothing. Yeah, third grade geometry. Do they the teacher teach, was the takeaway. I'm sorry. Do they teach circumference? I guess they do. Yeah. They don't teach geometry in third grade. There's it no such like your thing is circumference. It's infinite. Stop it. I learned all my geometry from another movie on my list. We'll get to later. <laughs> Back to what you're saying, Tom. Uh, just, I, I just really liked uh, how he he didn't like make himself the lead. It was very much a supporting performance for yeah, him. Exactly. Yeah. But he's convincing in it, even like I wouldn't have assumed he was the filmmaker. Right, uh, it's not the guy who comes on screen, and it's, it's not like a, a Ben Affleck kind of performance. Yeah, no, it's not. And one of my favorite things about our, our we did a podcast on this is something that Tom said uh, when we first did it is is how generous his performance is, and yeah. that he doesn't he doesn't make a vanity project of this. He lets he lets her. Make a fool of him at at, yeah. at times, and I I really like that point that Tom made uh, I, because that's difficult for a director to do <laughs> if you're doing your own project, especially something like this, which to me seems so intimate. It seems so uh, personal. I mean, that's why I love it so much. I I can't pretend to understand it even now. Um, my favorite things about it are. Uh, I mean, for the very first image, that first image of those little paper chains in that trash bag, good lord! Um, and then, and Amy's, I mean, it's, I, I'm just in love with this movie. I don't, I don't know what it means. Um, it's just really personal, and that he makes such a personal movie and lets himself take, uh, not, I wouldn't say a backseat, but basically ride in the sidecar of a motorcycle um like uh sean connery in the in that last crusade movie oh islander yeah. exactly oh. or the way in uh in that in garden state she won't ride in that seat because you know it's the bitch seat. <laughs> wow um, obscure pull very nice dingus <laughs> um i just i i mean i i'm i'm just crazy about it as 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 a vision of God, because we talked about the Creator in the, in this movie as a sort of a vision of God, and we we all had sort of different interpretations of this, and, and you can listen to the podcast to to kind of get an expansion of that. But but for me, this movie worked the way Tree of Life worked for me, and um, but in a more romantic way, it, which is a weird thing to say because of the because of the structure of this movie, but uh, but. This is a movie that Tom really got us to watch, and then then we got to watch it during some sort of a doldrum period during the year. And I'm so happy I watched it because it's it's another of those movies that I can't get the images out of my head. I can't get those worms out of my head. I can't get that umbrella out of my head. I can't get uh, the, those little paper things out of my head, or Rocks. the way that guy talks about water. Hey, I mean, what, um, what umbrella, Dingus? I don't know. Did you say umbrella, or did I mishear you? Uh, yeah, isn't it, isn't there in the beginning when she walks out into the rain? Uh, maybe it's just maybe it's just that first rain scene. Oh, uh, if there's if there's an umbrella, that belongs in our three by three of umbrellas, yeah, just by virtue does. of the movie being good. Yeah. But th- there's so many. Th- this movie is so beautifully shot. Um, and that's why it's my number. It's just it. Uh, I can't get I can't get over this movie, and I can't understand it. And I like that. Uh, my criterion for whether a movie should make the list or not is whether it could be told better in any other medium. And if the answer is no, then it's the best movie. 
I don't know. Upstream Color would make an interesting video game, don't you think, Kelly Warned? A board game. Let's play the Upstream Color board game. <laughs> uh, all right. Next on the movie, uh, no surprise. I think anyone who listened to the podcast uh, for Gravity would know that we were all head over heels uh, in love with it. Dingus and Kelly Wan both picked it as their second favorite movie of 2013. Uh, it, only, it only made it to number three on my list, I'm afraid. Oh, oh, so no. I'm, the, I'm the naysayer. Look at me hating on Gravity. Ha ha. They don't torture the fish. Uh, I thought Gravity was uh, just the – for me, it was the vindication of things that – of several things that I've been a little uh, skeptical of for a long time. It was the vindication of going to movies and movie theaters. It was a vindication of of computer-generated graphics because Gravity is basically an animated movie. And it was even the the vindication of 3D. I loved that I saw this in 3D. Um, and the fact that it was all of these things, and, and also, by the way, celebrity casting, like, let's get a big, huge, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm a sucker for Tom Cruise, but to make a movie that is this powerfully poetic, uh, cause I think that's another facet of gravity that a lot of people who were just like, yeah, spaceships are blowing up. Uh, there's some really cool, awesome, <laughs> subtle poetry in gravity. I want to meet, I want to meet that guy. He's, <laughs> I think he lives next door to the guy from, uh, a single shot. <laughs> The, the characters yeah. in single shot that would be the review that's what he got drunk at um but uh and i loved how it used this language of cinema that alfonso cuaron had explored in the car scene in children of men uh it used that so powerfully to do these really cool po- poetic things and it did it with big mega celebrities um in a in an original sci-fi drama i was just i was just, I was just blown away by how well all that came together uh, it's kind of the perfect halfway point between Terrence Malick and the Transformers. Uh, yeah, it's the Goldilocks zone. Very good, Kelly. Something Locks. we can all truly enjoy. <laughs> Idiots and smart people alike can all go to. And I can't believe did- you just said Terrence Malick and the Transformers in the same sentence. I said halfway. And I agree with him. It's like saying heaven and hell between heaven and hell. <sighs> it's like saying between space Ford and, be- and Dwayne Johnson. It's like between space and the sea. See, Dinga, see what I just did there? Hmm. It's like speed on a boat. Dingus, you said that your next is your second favorite viewing experience of the year. Can I venture a guess that your first favorite viewing experience of the year was Gravity? Yes, you can venture that, and you would be correct. Explain. Uh, we have a, a very close friend of ours, Fire, who uh, is a, a forum member who told us uh, that we have to see this in 3D. And I was like, no, we're not seeing a stupid yeah. movie in 3D. I'm it's not going to see Fire in it. So yeah, we're not we're not going to do that because we don't like 3D, and we're not going to do that. But she insisted, so we all went to see it in 3D because she had watched the trailers, and we don't. And she had watched the trailer during during a 3D trailer, so we said, "All right, fine." Um, and uh, good lord, <laughs> I I love you know one of the things I hate about 3D is how it isolates me from the people I'm watching movies with because it feels like I'm watching a movie with blinders on um, and sunglasses. Uh, but I had this group of friends that I was watching it with. And then I got to go out to dinner and talk to them, talk to about the movie afterward. Um, and also just being in a full theater in 3d and we saw it in something called Atmos, which is this incredible sound system that has speakers on top of the theater and underneath and beyond. And you, they, they actually make you swallow a speaker so that it plays her inside your body. No, um, 
There you oh, go. It, it doesn't do that. Um, <laughs> that's but, awesome, though. But seeing it was just such it was such an emotional experience. It was just a powerful experience to sit there with friends, and after having been told to see it by this person who's really important to us, you have to see this movie in 3D and being convinced to do that, and then we all convinced a group of other people to do it, and we all saw it together in 3D. It was just a wonderful movie viewing experience. And then my father came in town to visit me and my son, and and oh, he yeah. he lives in Gloucester Point, Virginia, and he's not going to get a, get to see it beyond a certain point. He's not going to get to see it in a great 3D theater. He's not going to get to see it, but it's still playing here in L.A. So I said, well, let's take Dad to it. So me and Tom and my dad went to see it again in 3D. And it was, again, it was a different kind of emotional experience for me. It was actually more emotional for me when when this weird moment happens to the character where she's swinging out into space. I had this huge emotional contact with that. So so seeing it with my dad and Tom, seeing it with a, a group of, of friends at the behest of a friend that said we have to see it in 3D, it was just one of those emotional experiences. And, and I have to sort of pay homage to Kelly Wand uh, because Kelly chose The Amazing Spider-Man a couple of years ago because it was a great experience seeing the movie. Uh, it's not only that, but it's part of that. I mean, there's so many other things I love about Gravity, um, but it's my favorite movie-going experience of the year. Um, yeah, so, anyway. Yeah. With any audience. I, I saw this alone with an audience, and I felt everyone around me just, like, in rap, like, what the f- Like, it was so petrifying and riveting, at least the opening. Throughout, yeah. I mean, it, it maintains that, I feel. Yeah. Uh, uh, so a little little fun fact about how you can never trust your friends and you can always trust your friends. Uh, the same guy who told me, oh, Francis Hall is going to be your favorite movie of the year, hated Gravity. <laughs> he was the one who was like, oh, it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he was – Because I thought she was amazing. He hated everything about it. No, I, yeah, he just People did not like Gravity go, at all. Yeah, he just thought it wasn't like realistic. handles and they're just slipping and sliding and they can't – but like, yeah, that's what's great about it. It's only that. Like, can you imagine how hard that must have been to shoot and like choreograph and stuff? Oh, the they choices – there's, there's this great choice that, that Karan makes – um, when she's spinning in space, just to focus on her eyes, uh-huh. and you sort of you sort of see the the Earth rotate behind her, getting farther though. And but he's focusing on her eyes, and and this is where Sandra Bullock just does an amazing job of conveying what this 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 vertigo and this fear is doing to her. Um, and that choice to just focus on her eyes is a great choice. He makes so many great choices in this movie. Sounds like maybe Dingus needs to see the heat. Mm. It, maybe he has. <laughs> are there close-ups of her eyes in it, and are they black? There's a close-up like of her hands that's bleeding. Oh, that's true, yeah. <sighs> Let's become astronauts. Oh, she was a heat. medical doctor. Can we talk she about the heat? Screws. Oh. Good lord. The one with Val Kilmer? <laughs> uh, also, I, I almost got in a fight in the second uh, the second time I saw heat with Dingus. I went out into the lobby to talk to a guy whose whose girlfriend was talking. Whoa, whoa, wait, what? Do you remember that thing? You did, I thought you were oh, going to come out right. with me. I almost <laughs> did, but then I thought, wait, <laughs> you silenced a guy's girlfriend in the lobby for talking? Hey, no, no, they were they were sitting. 
No, they were sitting next to us, and I just leaned over at one point in gravity. When we saw gravity the second time with Dingus and his dad, uh, and and I just leaned over and said something like, you know, it's distracting when you talk. Would you please wait till after the movie? How can you Uh, talk to gravity? It's too crazy. They had things they wanted to say to each other, uh, and she did this wavy thing in my face. She like waved her hand, like get 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 out of my space. Uh, and I was like, Ugh. And, and then the guy leaned over and said something to me, and I couldn't tell what he said. And I was like, Do you want to go outside and talk about this? And I thought that would be the end of it. He's like, Yeah, let's go. And so I got up and I went outside with him. And she she grabbed me. She's like, Randall, no, leave him. Just don't do that. Uh, and so I went out there with with Randall and. Um, I for, Wait, I for, keep going. Well, I was fully. I, I was as I was doing it. I was thinking, what? What are you doing? What? what why? Yeah. This is really stupid. So I just went out there, um, and immediately like was relieved because he was deferential. He was like, "Look, uh, you know, you shouldn't be bothered." Like he, that was like his lines. You shouldn't be bothering other people in the line. Well, he wasn't like being all aggressive about it. He was almost being like he wasn't like Wait, in my face you shouldn't be bothering people he was explaining what she was i don't know what was going on but really the point was we went out there and he was trying to explain why they didn't want to acknowledge me asking them not to talk or whatever he was trying to like justify this uh and i just said well you know it's really distracting water break um I think I even said something before I went back, like, okay, so we have an understanding? <laughs> I'm not sure we did. It's, we were both, the thing is, I got out there, we, I both were like, we both, as soon as I got out there, I realized neither of us wanted to fight each other. It wasn't going to be that yeah. kind of thing. Just keep so, a bitch on a leash. <laughs> got so it. basically just had to say something to cover like our Sandra stuff. Bullock's on a leash in the movie. <laughs> but at, at any rate, yeah, so. Well, uh, that's pretty cool that you started it. Uh, yeah. But then when you went out, you went, all right, now I'm going to use logic on him. That's fairly common with us, though, in movie theaters. Uh, I want to say, how come never happens with opera? Because I'm making more noise than anyone else in the theater. Probably. Well, no, I'll say, oh, yeah, well, you know what it was? Is We got out there and he said, um, my girlfriend thought you were leaning on her purse. <laughs> that was one thing he said. That's a crock shit, obviously. I don't know. But yeah, like I've, yeah, Dingus and I are really good about either shushing people or saying something or not actually not shushing them because that i think that's super passive aggressive wait yeah. so if yeah. it had been a fight would you have kicked his like how big was he okay oh, i've never been in a fight no uh, he was telling you he was leaving no. her baby in her, in her purse it was a baby, <laughs> a baby too oh, tom hates when babies see gravity she did not have a baby in there uh all right so uh gravity we all agreed uh, <laughs> remember when you got booed I did not get booed. The woman whose baby was crying, who I asked to silence, she got booed. No, oh, no, no. no. I got cheered. No, no. Nobody got booed, Kelly Wan. When I went to see Ali, they cheered me Sorry, when sorry. I yelled out something like, take the baby, baby up. No, I didn't say that. I said, oh. take the baby outside. And then some very aggressive <laughs> woman. Said, so you're going to start a fight with the baby this time. And then you went out with the baby and you went, so uh, I wasn't on the purse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's the exact same conversation. With so what happened is she was like way back in the theater and her baby was crying and I finally said – In front of the theater? They were take, separated? Take the baby outside and she went, shut up, fool, and the audience cheered me for asking her to take the baby out. <laughs> Wait a minute. They cheered after she said the word fool. Well, she and said it so been, quickly yeah, that right, the audience right. didn't have time to raise their hands to start clapping. You're so white. Until, <laughs> yeah, I didn't make it a racial thing, Kelly Wan. You just did. I didn't even point out her. I, heard, I listened to your impersonation of her voice, and it will fool. Speaking of which, Kelly, oh, yeah. so when I made some reference to to Dingus uh, watching Banshee Chapter and and saying stupid black guys, you thought I was talking about the next movie here, which is terrible of you, Kelly Wan, and I hope you're suitably ashamed. So again, movie on all of our lists. 
It is Dingus's favorite movie of the year. It's ah. my second favorite movie of the year. It's Kelly Wan's third favorite movie of the year. Dingus, why don't you explain why you liked Fruitville Station? And I want both of you to explain why it took you so freaking long to see it. Uh, <laughs> I agree with Kelly. Hmm. Uh, I can't see everything, you know? I saw this back when it was in theaters, which was like six, eight months ago. Uh, I'm pretty sure I told you guys it was awesome. No, you didn't say anything about it. You said, don't see this. I didn't understand it. <laughs> yeah. Wait for Scott another Kate's movie to come out. <laughs> yeah. The baby was yelling at me. The audience cheered. <laughs> All right. So um, there's, there's a time uh, recently where I was watching a movie, and Tom heard me laughing and clapping my hands. <laughs> do you want me to do yes. the impression? Here's how it went. So I'm sitting in the front room. Dingus is back in his office, and here's what I hear. <laughs> and it was when in, it was the end of Fruitvale Station, which is a laugh. Well, I, went, I was like, what were you watching? And I later found out that he had tweeted or something on Facebook about how I just got finished seeing the best thing of the year. So I was like, what goofy comedy would Dingus be laughing and clapping at? Uh, and it, so apparently, Dingus, it did turn out that it was Fruitvale Station. It was Fruitvale Station, yeah. That he was laughing at. Uh, I was laughing, but it wasn't. I wasn't laughing like it was Santa Claus. Good Lord. <laughs> and um, clapping like Santa Claus. Part of it is that, and I, I, I really am reluctant to even say this, but part of it is that I saw Fruitvale Station after watching 12 Years a Slave. Which I really didn't like. I really thought was uh, an exercise in white guilt, and uh, and I was the one, I was the person on the podcast who didn't like it. Uh, I'm okay with that. I'm one of the four percent or the number four people who didn't like this movie. Um, and when I was watching Fruitvale Station, I was thinking, oh God, this movie gets it. This movie it understands. I mean, it's not the same situation it's not the same um issue necessarily but this movie really hit me and it really made me think and feel for its characters in a way that 12 years didn't 12 years uh to me just felt like this other sort of exercise and just i don't know it just felt like it was a chore um because we've seen a, a thousand movies about slaves, and we understand that period of our history, and I don't understand why we why we sat through that movie again. Uh, I understand that there are beautiful things about it. I acknowledge those things. But Fruitville Station, I think, has something trenchant to say about where we are in America right now, as far as race is concerned, and as far as community is concerned, as far as just what our police state is. And and as I was watching 12 Years a Slave, I, I never had those kind of feelings of um, connection. And when I was watching Fruitvale Station, I felt like, okay, this movie gets sort of where we are as a country. And those the, the laughter that Tom here heard was not this uh, Santa Claus laughter, but more of there are moments in this movie that are just so real and human that I I have a terrible, loud, ridiculous laugh. Uh, I can't help it. 
I have a, it's it's really annoying when you're in a theater with me because I laugh really loud. Uh, but when something is delightful to me, even if it's just a moment of truth, I laugh out loud in this goofy way. And that's what I was doing when I was watching Fruvel Station because it's certainly not a movie that you would guffaw at, but there are moments of real human beauty that just astounded me and just just after seeing 12 Years a Slave, watching this and saying, oh, this is a real moment. This is real. This is something I can really connect with. And uh, I just can't get over the character dynamics of this movie. It's just it's just a beautiful, beautiful movie. And, and I guess I'm making a connection not necessarily because of, of just the black-black experience, but because both of them begin with, with essentially the this is a true story, and this is a true thing that happened. And this is sort of a document that we're trying to make. And I feel that Fruitville Station is a, is a more honest and real document than 12 Years is as far as a movie is concerned. Not talking about the book that was written about 12 Years a Slave, but just the, the movie. I feel like Fruitvale is a document, and I loved it for that reason, and it just drew me in from the moment it started. Uh, hmm, okay, I, I kind of really want to take... You can take I, issue with all of that. That's okay, because totally I, I, so I love the movie, so I think we all love it, and Kelly Wong will get you in here in a minute. Uh, what I really take issue with, Dingus, is you presenting it as something about a police state or, or, or community, or certainly race, um, and even as a document, because uh, the shooting of uh, Oscar Grant, did I screw that up? Is that his uh, name, Oscar Grant? Uh, at any rate, the, the shooting of, of Oscar Grant, I, and boy, I'm going to feel like an idiot if I got that wrong, um, which really did happen and, w- and was a terrible thing, and that was certainly you're the right, movie. Right. Okay, and that, that was the movie's basis. You know, it, it was about this theoretical uh, day in the life of Oscar Grant. Um, I, I don't feel like it was at all tr- being one of those kinds of movies, and I was kind of, you know, I wanted to see it. I'd heard great things about it, but I thought it was going to be a, a sort of a Spike Lee politically charged statement about what happened um, and about, you know, race and community in our police state. Um, and, and I feel that the strength of Fruitvale Station is that it avoids all of that. Um, is that it is not about the black experience. It is not about the police. It is not even about, you know, racial issues. It's about a day in the life of a man who's on the cusp of, of either making more bad choices or turning his life around and making good choices. And at that vital moment, something terrible happens to him. And it, it, it to me, is more like Greek tragedy, you know, or, or taxi driver. I see a lot in... Uh, that this movie has in common with Taxi Driver as a character study. Here is a guy who can either do terrible things with his life or do good things with his life, and there's going to be a moment of violence that interrupts that 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 capacity for him to make a decision. Uh, and and I also compare it to Taxi Driver because of how incredible Michael Jordan's Michael B. Jordan, uh, I, how incredible his performance is. Um, it's just some amazing work watching his, his face, watching the way he does this thing where he twists his mouth when he's thinking, uh, his interaction with the actress who plays his girlfriend and how he's vulnerable with her, um, with his mother. To me, this is a character study and not a document of what happened to this man, this actual man, Oscar Grant. Um, and it uses that as inspiration, as a jumping off point to tell a story about this this character. Um so I, I kind of disagree with your, your take there, Dingus, in that 
it's it's a drama to me. It's a it's a dramatization. It's a character study, not a document, and not at all political. Um, for instance, the the thing that it does with the Bart officers uh, at the the end, a lot of that is taken from the actual uh, incident, and um, but it it seemed like like the the fact that the the and I don't want to give away too much, but but you, you immediately think, okay, here's these white racist asshole guys, and as the incident unfolds, you're thinking, okay, well, I see what they're going to do. But when the shooting happens, there's there's a very brief moment where an actor who I know Dingus and, and Dingus, you must have been delighted when he showed up. You and I both really like Kevin Durant when he shows up, and huh. you're thinking, oh, he's the shaved he's the shaved head, he's the racist asshole. There's one shot of him holding Oscar Grant's hand. I just, I just, uh, it was so moving. And the fact that the movie did that with this character and flipped to just show this moment of his concern. And I think he says something like, stay with me. And it's not this long, lingering, dramatic moment, but it's, it's, it's just this incredible little character flip that they do. Um, and it made me think, oh, this isn't a movie about how the cops are assholes. You know, that's not what Ryan Coogler, and I think that's the director's name, that's not what he's getting at. Um, it's much more human than that, and it's much more nuanced. Um, so I, I just, uh, yeah, but, but I loved it. Kelly Wan, what made this work for you? You, you uh, finally got around to seeing it. You even sent us a little message afterwards saying, you know, okay, this affected my list. Thanks for making me see this. Uh, what, what made this work for you? Um, I forget. Did you guys – I know you haven't, Tom, but did Dingus watch The Wire? No, neither of us watch as much TV. I've, I've watched the first four episodes of The Wire a couple of times, and I just can't get over the idea of watching 60 more hours of it. Yeah, Kelly, we're not TV people. You know, we read books. Sorry. Uh, well, that I didn't realize I'd know Michael B. Jordan from that show. Well, you also know him from Chronicle. <laughs> what? He's in that thing? He's, isn't he the... He's the you know what? It doesn't matter. He's so good in this. Like, yeah. <laughs> he has such integrity. Um, and I guess I agree with mostly with what Tom said about just it's just a day. And it, he doesn't know it's his last day of life, and we do. So there's this... Ah, Kelly Wand. <laughs> what? This is an incident. Well, that was the thing too. That I didn't watching it. I'd certainly heard about the shooting. Yeah, I didn't. I about did it. not remember that he died. And I, I, I did, just kind of assume. I, I have relatives who live up there, and it was a huge event. And it was a huge. It was a huge race race event. No, it was, no, it was no, a I huge know. event. Right. I remember that. I mean, I remember them but being I, so terrified. It happens all the time. It happens so constantly for me to keep track of that Wait, I... No, no, no. Not like that. It was a, it was a singular event there. It was a big deal. Well, because it, it was on... Well, they ca- they captured it on on camera. Oh, I, well, I see. The, uh, the, the people filming on cell phones and whatnot. Right, right. But like, at the end... It, what Tom's saying about how it wasn't like it wasn't really a soapbox movie. Like at the end, it just sort of gives you this very, very brief. Um, stick gun for a taser, uh, and then no, I, I agree, it's not a soapbox movie. I just think it's a it's a document of what's going on right now and what happened right then. And I, I mean, I totally, I certainly agree with you guys that it's it's a it's a day in the life of this guy. I love the character stuff. It is a it is a character movie. I, I totally agree with that, but I just also think it's a document of where we are right right now, or where. Well, we're I don't know what at. that means. I mean, because the Twelve Years a Slave is like based on a, like all happened like a century ago. This happened four years ago in a city. Part of what, like, part of where, let me, like part of where I, I get what you're saying, Dingus. But one of the things that I think that it 
does that a document doesn't do is like the scene with the dog. You know, there's no basis for that in reality, but as a dramatic moment for something that he's going to experience and we see how he reacts and we see how it makes him think, uh, I feel like those kinds of touches are more important to the movie than faithfully recreating what he actually did on his last day. You know, the bits with the girl in the supermarket, certainly on the subway train. I mean, I can think this is such a dramatic device being torn between the, the Aryan guy from prison and the girl that he just helped. You know, here are two white people, a good version and a bad version. Right, you know, right. And he's literally suspended between them almost. That's a dramatic device. That, to me, is not like – you know, that's creative liberty. And I'm so glad that Ryan Coogler took the license to make that kind of movie instead of something – either angry or thinking I've got to honor the reality of this guy. Yeah. And, and that, that I think is what Kelly, when you say soapbox, like it doesn't necessarily have to be a demeaning term to say soapbox, but this, this making the priority, we're going to honor Oscar Grant's, you know, right. the moment to moment events of his, of, of his last day. Uh, it, it, he clearly made a story that had a lot of fictional license to, to make the a point about this character. And I'm so glad he did that uh, in, instead of, a biopic or whatever. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. But you don't get these Absolutely. things when you just read about the incident happening. Right. You just right. go, oh, some stupid shit happened on a on a subway platform, and then that's all you get. But so, what's the guy's name? The director's name? Coogler? Ryan Coogler, yeah. Ryan Coogler. Like, he, like, you just, well, I'm just parroting what you said, basically. But he that's okay. I like hearing your voice say it. <laughs> and it's, it's such a good performance by Michael B. Jordan. It's an incredible performance. Good Lord. All the performances so are so good. Wonderful. I, and he, oh, go ahead, I went. Well, just that kind of that he has. I keep falling back on the word integrity because you don't see it in very many actors. Like I don't want to invoke necessarily Paul Walker with this movie necessarily. Like it's that close thing, but I think Paul Walker had some of that too, where you just kind of believed in, like you saw who he was. Right, here's a good guy. He means well. He wouldn't be an asshole if you met him on the street, like that kind of thing. Yeah, and maybe Michael B. Jordan could play a villain. Maybe Tom Selleck could play a villain, but it's just Tom Selleck could never play a villain. I'm sorry. Uh, right. I also, I also want to talk about Octavia Spencer, who uh, I was sort of predisposed not to like because I wanted to hate the help, um, and she's so good at his mom. Um, she's so yeah, good in that amazing. scene. Yeah, last scene Ugh. with him in that in that in the prison visitation scene where she's just like, I'm done. That that right there is my second favorite favorite scene of the of the, of the year because of the the flashes where he changes when he's talking to her and then he flashes into prison mode and then he tries to get back in with her and her reaction and yeah that that is such an incredible scene isn't it Dingus yeah absolutely and it winds up being a story beat flashback favorite flashback I'm gonna put that on my list now but he has a couple like also too when he goes to the store and like basically begs for his job back. But then when he doesn't get, he gets mad. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. get violent, but it's like you can see where he's. You see him struggling with that part yeah. of himself. Yeah. And so when he when it happens later, you can you've seen it has precedent, so you kind of believe it. Yeah, it's a brilliant performance. He's and Michael B. Jordan really. I mean, he's it's one of the best performances of the year. I mean, he's fantastic. I mean, it's amazing. I I love this movie so much, uh, and. It, uh, <laughs> can't speak highly enough of it so i want you guys both to say tom you were right tom you were right <laughs> tom you were right slavery wasn't as cool as i had been uh fruitvale station i but i i mean 
it, it's the sort of thing too. I mean, Dingus or uh, Kelly Wand, you knew Michael B. Jordan from The Wire, but I'd, I'd never seen him anything. I certainly Hits didn't remember on it too. I didn't remember him from Chronicle. But it's the sort of thing you watch this and you're like, well, that's that. Then a- anytime I see Michael B. Jordan or Ryan Coogler's name, yeah. these guys have lifetime passes to make me mm-hmm. eager to see whatever they do. <laughs> Unless maybe they do three terrible things in a row, then I'll reconsider. But for now, you guys are on the list. So. Yeah, it was a good, like I felt the same thing you were feeling when Dingus was talking about it as a document. It was like, no, it's that one guy. It's Michael B. Jordan's character. I don't look at the black experience. I can't. I can know nothing about. But Michael B. Jordan speaks to me. Like we well, and I will him. say, and it was so. I mean, just the 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 family scenes and certainly yeah. him with the little girl and, and Melanie Diaz is the girlfriend, just their yeah. interaction. Uh, it, even though it was di- distinctly about a, a, a black community, it was just so universal in its feeling. It didn't have any of this, um, you know, like John Singleton does great stuff and boys in the hood. All those are great, but I constantly feel like I'm watching, you know, another culture that I don't understand, but there, there was none of that here. Everything yeah, just yeah. seems so human. And even with his friends, uh, just them goofing around. I was like, yeah, I totally understand that. And, and, and the scene on the subway was so warm and human and just the sense of community there of all the people on the subway. And you're thinking, oh, you know, someone, there's going to be a fight soon, you know, until the Aryan Nation guy shows up. But when the people are stuck on the subway and they do the countdown and uh, the guy up, just all of that subway, just the warmth yeah. and the love spilling out of these scenes of the movie, it's almost tangible. Like it just gives me a buzz that I get from so yeah. few movies watching those scenes on the subway and the way Ryan Coogler does it and the way it just all feels so incredibly just humane. And I just, I just love people, all people when I watch that movie. Yeah, that's yeah. how subways are too. I hadn't read ridden subways till like Vancouver last year, and they are kind of like that because there's people who are too drunk to drive home, so they're always there, and there's a sense of oh man, I should ride more subways on a Friday night. Then whenever I ride the subway in L.A., it's always just weird and icky. I didn't know we even had those. Well, see, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't ride these. Don't ride L.A. anything. <laughs> that's a good point. In general. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's do some uh, most disappointing, most surprising, and then uh, let's do some awards. You guys already know my most surprising, a little indie film called uh, – indie horror movie called Banshee Chapter. I ended up but loving the surprise is just that you think it will be bad because it doesn't have a budget or you liked you. it more than you expected. It's okay. up to you, Kelly Wan. Yeah, so what have you picked, Kelly Wan, for your most surprising movie of the year? Uh, I'm surprised I didn't like American Hustle more. Because I'm a David Russell, because he seemed to be on a hot streak, and it had all the boobs I wanted, but I emerged feeling empty inside. Okay. So I wasn't sure if... But maybe it's a movie I'll appreciate later with time, because I remember coming out of Fargo the first time going, fuck. (laughs) Digus, what was was most surprising to you? Uh, This is crappy, but I was mostly surprised, I was most surprised that I loved Iron Man 3. Um, uh, now, Dingus, I, okay, I want to call you out on this, Dingus, because why would you be surprised that a Robert Downey Jr. Shane Black, Black collaboration after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, why would that surprise you? Uh, because it felt like uh, Robert Downey Jr. was not at all interested in doing this anymore, and that after <laughs> the movies remember, always suck. After the second one, the second one was so bad, it just felt like it was moribund, um, and that I, I shouldn't have been surprised. I was hopeful but i was most surprised that i loved absolutely loved iron man 3 i mean 
I actually considered watching it again for the list because I liked it so much. Dingus, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe we're onto something. Maybe Robert Downey Jr. just doesn't like John Favreau. <laughs> <It's possible. laughs> uh, Iron Man three was one of my runners up too. I yeah, really I liked that this year. Yeah. Uh, Although I kind of see Kiernan's point, like blowing up the. Uh, so Kiernan is Dingus' son who did uh, not like uh, Iron Man throwing away. His, He's just, he's fearful for the future. I mean, eh. he's nine. He's he's worried that oh. they're not going to bring anything back. That when oh, I think even Iron that. Man was. <laughs> You're <Yes>. justifying blowing <laughs> them up. I got to blow these up. Or, I'm fearful for the future. I'm going to yeah. There could be an Iron Man four. Or these could <laughs> right. turn evil. Exactly. But uh, I, I I kind of agree with Diggis. I did not expect Iron Man three to be nearly as good as it was. Like after Iron Man two, I go, okay, it'll be it'll have a couple cute lines in it with Shane Black help it but i didn't think it was going to be like a home run like yeah i want more of these movies please renew his contract but now all the other marvel movies suck because then I, after we went into thor going oh yeah maybe thor will be it i have no. high hopes for the next uh, captain america one i'm a captain america fan now uh, that's not crazy. too crazy okay uh oh. kelly Wong, what was your most disappointing movie of the year i thought seeing the hobbit with you bitches would be funny I thought, I thought it'll be we'll giggle and we'll make fun of how dumb it is and maybe some of it'll be like maybe it'll be Iron Man three like Peter Jackson all right here's the Empire Strikes Back of the Hobbit prequels and it was just a wretched miserable slog. Sorry, that, sorry, we couldn't have helped more by making it fun. We I, Dingus got in trouble for talking. I uh, you know I was I was elbowing you back and we were laughing at things. But you weren't elbowing me with fun. Like I could tell you were just like. Well, I didn't know that I wasn't sure what the signals for the elbowing were. Like you were elbowing me with fun. Well, at first I thought the signals when he was elbowing me were isn't Kate from Lost hot? But then he was doing it during our But then he was doing it during the, all the Orlando Bloom scenes and I was like, "Oh, is this like a gay thing he's doing?" There was nothing else to do during the movie. There's nothing's happening. Oh, and you should have brought a book. Uh, Jules Verne. Jules. <laughs> Diggs, what was your most disappointing movie of 2013? All right, after uh, when when I uh, after we saw Beasts of the Southern Wild, um, I started doing research about it and writing it up, and uh, and when I found out that Quinvenge Wallace and Dwight mm-hmm. Henry were going to be in a movie called Twelve Years a Slave, directed by Steve McQueen, who directed one of the movies that just fascinates me to no end, Hunger, I was just so amazed. Okay, this amazing electric actress. And and this this other amateur who's really really good are going to be in this movie called Twelve Years a Slave. I have no idea what it is. It's by this director I really love. I can't wait to see what he does. And I'm not going to read anything else about it. Um, and uh, my disappointment with this movie is well documented. You can listen to the podcast of Twelve Years a Slave to find out why. But uh, that you was, should write a book about it. It's a huge disappointment for me. Um, I just I I don't know. You know, I know it's everybody's favorite movie of the year, but I was so disappointed. Okay, when it wins all the Oscars, are you going to reconsider? Yeah. No, Who's I'm not. Movie of the year was it? It's it's everybody's. It's going to win Best Picture. It's, it's what? What? No, it won't. I mean, I've long since stopped caring about this, but really, Dingus, is that? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Nah, I don't think so. They don't I, like bummers. Usually, is the that's yeah, a happy ending. But oh, spoiler by the way. Uh, won't won't Gravity win? Come on, Dingus. No. Our no, Dingus, come on. I hope Gravity wins. There's nothing about Nazis this year, so something. Wait a minute, won't Fruitvale yeah, State win? the Art win? Thief one. 
What about Reveal Reveal Station? Station? No, they don't like race movies. Um, not enough people will see it. Well, wait, if they don't like race movies, then 12 Years a Slave won't win. Right, that's what I'm saying. Neither of them will. Because they're too... They'll make... They'll go... Mm. A, con, a, a rival studio will plant... Who doesn't like this movie than me? I mean, it's there's nothing not to like about it. About what? About 12 Years a Slave. There's nothing not to well, like. Well, if I was voting, I wouldn't vote for it. So I'm oh, with wow. you, Dingus. I, mean, I, I thought have, you did vote. Not for Dingus and I are not in the Academy. That's a bunch no, we, of we vote in the SAG Oh, wait, what was the... Oh, yeah, we got invited to Smurfs, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my most disappointing movie of the year... What the heck happened with Elysium? Neil Blomkamp's District 9 was so good. Charlotte Copley is really good. Matt Damon should know better. Why was that thing so awful and bad and awkward? And and Because uh, he still had some halo left in the tubes. Uh, <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. He said that, yeah, you had to like clear that or something. Blow that halo out. Oh, the actor doesn't matter as much. Like I like Matt Damon, but like Green Zone's not good. But but you think well, but you think though that he would know. I guess I don't know why he's he's over the hill to play Bourne, but he's he'll get Matt a Damon? suit. Well, I mean, isn't that why he stopped doing him, or was it because they lost? I mean, why did they get Jeremy Renner? I just feel. I mean, Green Zone's a good point, but I think he wanted to work with Paul Greengrass. But I, I just feel like Matt Damon makes really really good decisions, uh, and I I don't what was going on with this goofy thing. Fucking what's that chick's name? Alice Braga. Well, Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster in this. What? What? Really? Wait. Oh yeah. Delicia, with her goofy yeah, accent, and she's playing Donald Rumsfeld. She's, she's playing, playing the same character. Playing, she uh, she's playing a space version of Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> what is that? Remember in Inside Man? She's kind of the same. I'm the enigmatic. That's fine. She didn't have a goofy accent, and that that worked. But I. Uh, she's always kind of like that. There's so no Kelly, Watts, so you're, really you're saying then that I shouldn't be disappointed in Elysium? You're defending it. I'm saying it was about what you should have expected. No, did you see District Nine, Kelly Wand? That's what I should have expected. I that, did, that's what I expected. That's I didn't like it, and then I saw Avatar, and I went, "District Nine's good." Disregard what I said. Charlotte Copley was awful in it too, and he was so good in Europa Report. There's a horror movie this year just came out called Open Grave, which is directed by the guy who did oh, a follow. Uh, yeah, he's the lead in it, and it's directed by a guy who did a really cool – his name is uh, Gonzalo Lopez Gallego. He did a really cool movie that Dingus and I like called King of the Mountain, but then he did a movie called Apollo 18, but let's not talk about that. He most recently did a movie called Open Grave, and Charlotte Copley is really good in that too. Uh, so why is he so awful in Elysium, Kelly Wand? Well, because he's the villain, and I think he's not – He's not. Um, he's not ready for that. He's oh, not wait, like oh, The Rock. I'm thinking Kelly Wan. I'm also thinking of something else. He was awful this year. He was awful in uh, <laughs> Old Boy. He was the villain in Old. Oh Jesus! <laughs> but no, no one comes off well in Old Boy. That's true. Poor Charlotte. Except the uh, original filmmaker. Yeah, Kelly Wan, I think you're onto something. We cannot have Charlotte Copley playing bad guys anymore. <laughs> he's a cute. He's a cutie pie. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, let's hand out some awards that we've created. Kelly Wan, why don't you give us so, – <laughs> Hand them out. Is everyone okay? Yeah, we're going to hand them out. Is everyone right. okay going round robin? Does anyone have like a series where they need to read them all at once? No. Oh, no okay. Mine are all unconnected. Kelly Wan, give us your first award that you're handing out tonight. My first award is Best Mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I like this already. <laughs> it's uh... – Jaden Smith in After Oblivion. I mean, After Mash. Why is it called After Earth? It's still Earth. After Us. Yeah, so Best Mustache, Jaden Smith in After Oblivion. I'm not sure I understand what you're doing, but I think maybe I do. 
Man, that's mean. <laughs> you want a mustache ride on Jaden Smith? Whoa, whoa, Kelly Wan. Oh, he's, he's a minor, I'll have you know. Still? With that stash? <laughs> What's he taking for those? Wait, does he re- He never has a mustache in that, does he? Oh, well, it was a moral shading. More. <laughs> I don't know, he had a little hair lip. Hey, Kelly Wan, it's called puberty. Don't pick on the poor kid. Yeah. Oh, cry me a river for the Jaden. I have a I have a mustache quote from this year. Oh, I what? really loved. Um, you're really keeping that mustache, huh? And this is my favorite mustache of the year. I, this isn't one of my my uh, awards, but since Kelly Wan brought up mustaches, I've seen this. It sounds familiar. Who to whom is it said, Dingus? It's Her? said to David Schwimmer. Hmm. Oh, oh, uh, I, the Ice Man. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> David Schwimmer playing this utterly ridiculous Jewish hitman character, and he's got this terrible mustache, and he walks into uh, his boss's office, and Ray Liotta goes, you're really keeping that mustache, huh? And he does, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it doesn't work with your face, and it's this terrible mustache, so thank you, Kelly Wan, for reminding me of that. Yeah. I have him on the brain. Mustache uh, is not David Schwimmer. Uh, Dingus, give us one of your awards. All right, uh, so uh, one of my awards is for uh, my favorite Frankenstein imitation. Uh-oh. <laughs> and this is from the movie To the Wonder. Um, <laughs> ah, Dingus saw To the Wonder. What's yeah. that? Is that one of them where the little girl's a robot? Yeah, Kelly Wand, uh, it, it's probably from some little dire- some director you've never heard of. Dingus, what is that? Little director. <laughs> it's a little director named Terrence Malik. Hmm. Um What? It's a Terrence Malick movie. Who's the lead actor in that, Dingus? <laughs> the lead actor is named Ben Affleck. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? I don't believe a word I'm hearing. <laughs> who's the lead the actress? Who's the, who's, so, so they get Ben Affleck, obviously going to pair him with a powerful powerhouse actress who can really elevate his performance. Who would that be in this movie, Dingus? That would be Olga Kirilenko. Mm. <laughs> I like her. <laughs> so it's She a, likes to really, show him. It's so weird. It's this weird movie where Terrence Malick feels like somebody else made a Terrence Malick movie and tried to do it with like just a, a different cast. Uh, and so Ben Affleck is playing the Brad Pitt role, um, and Olga Kirilenko is playing the Jessica Chastain role. And it feels like this is the traveling company for uh, Tree of Life. They're the James Franco Wizard of Oz version of Ouch. <laughs> James Franco also appears in The Iceman, by the way. Uh, anyway, so to, to the wonder is pretty insufferable, mainly because Ben Affleck just he looks like every in every scene where he's walking he looks like Frankenstein. <laughs> he just looks. What like, about this movie, though? <laughs> exactly, he looks like this big lumbering Frankenstein in this movie where he's just supposed to be this this thoughtful, uh, poetic character. <laughs> um, and so it's so hard to watch and take seriously exactly. because Ben Affleck, um, you know, I like what he does in, in Argo just fine. and But here he just looks like Frankenstein. It's Dingus, so- can, I, can I venture a guess that maybe he's doing that to work on uh, a characterization for Batman when he plays <laughs> Batman? Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Really? I thought Batman died. Nope. So Zack Snyder, Superman versus Batman. You know, he's got to. He's probably like trying some things. You know, Christian Bale had the voice. Maybe Ben Affleck will have the walk. <laughs> Flash has the run. See? So my favorite favorite Frankenstein imitation is Ben Affleck into the Wonder. Uh, I'm going to hand out an award that I call the 
I take back everything I ever said about Katie Sackhoff and Battlestar Galactica award, and it is going to uh, the movie Riddick. Because I, I previously believed that Katie Sackhoff was about a third as badass as Battlestar Galactica thought she was, and maybe about 10% as sexy. Holy cat, she's incredibly badass and incredibly hot in Riddick. Very um, good. Yeah. Which uh, I, I think it was a good year for sci-fi. Uh, Oblivion, which I really liked, you guys didn't, but certainly uh, Her, Europa Report, Gravity, Upstream Color, uh, and Riddick were, were great for the most part, except for, for Riddick, original sci-fi movies. And even Riddick works as a standalone movie. You don't have to – they completely, except for one brief scene where they get Carl Urban to show up, they completely break with the previous movie. And they're just like, yeah, forget that stuff that we did. Well, and, but then the guy shows up. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> wait, what? Remember, no, the second – Well, that, no, no, I know. I mean, there's kind of a reveal, but it doesn't – none of that matters. Just you could – they explain anything you need to know. It's all pretty straightforward. Great detail. Um, but, but I liked how it was a movie that had like this alien survival aspect and then it had this armed showdown. And there were a lot of characters besides Riddick. Um, uh, and I, so I – and I really liked Katie Sackhoff's character. I was like, man, I – I think I was wrong about her in Battlestar Galactica. If I were to go back now and watch Battlestar Galactica, I would be totally sold on the character of Starbuck because of Riddick. She was all right on that show, wasn't she? You just didn't believe in her drunken... I didn't think she was bad and enough to do this stuff, that, to sell the she stuff that they do. were fighting for. Well, she was a pilot, though. Yeah. Like Denzel Washington. Well, I, well now I'm agreeing with you, Kelly Wan. I, yeah, oh. absolutely, because now I've seen Riddick and my eyes are opened. So, Kelly Wan, why don't you hand out a reward, an award? Or a reward. Do you have a reward to go with your award? Yeah, but I can't hand it out. Oh, yeah, I can. I'm sorry. I misread that. Um, <clears throat> grossest zombie kill is uh, kissing a blonde in warm bodies. Kissing a blonde in warm bodies. Are yeah, it brings him back to life. He's no longer a zombie at the end. Man, is that really a warm body? Yeah. And then everyone kisses... Or just hold hands, actually. Kelly, is this the movie, or did you have a dream about this? <laughs> I wouldn't have dreamed about the blonde. The friend think, was hotter. I think Rob Corddry sees a poster, and that's what brings everybody back to life. Yeah, I thought that was the catalyst. <sighs> Look, <laughs> you're thinking of World War Z, where luggage defeats them. <laughs> and Brad Pitt holding up magic markers, going, Look, injection seems to work. Thank you, Damon, for writing this in magic marker. All right. But, uh, yeah, warm bodies, you kill zombies by kissing them, and that also fixes their bullet wounds, too. Well, if there's ever a zombie apocalypse, I will try that. Stupid movies. Dingus, give an award out. All right, my next award is for my favorite unbalanced cast. <laughs> Uh, have either of you guys seen the movie Adore? No. Is that two words? Yes, it is not. It's, it's adore. not the and I love you, but it's Adore. Um, so this is this uh, Australian movie um, directed by Anne Fontaine, uh, and it's <laughs> it was it's it's alternately called like Perfect Moms, and it's got it's got a thousand different titles, um, but it's about uh, two moms who are very good friends, and they have affairs with each other's sons. Mm. So far, so good. What yeah. could go wrong? Yes, go ahead, Dingus. Uh, it's 
it's it's got who are the moms uh, by the way who? the moms are Naomi Watts and Robin Wright. Okay, is that the unbalanced part? They're both good. No, they are awesome. Great. The sons are uh-oh, Xavier uh-oh. Samuel uh-oh. and James Fresherville. Yeah, but James Fresherville we love from Animal Kingdom. We did. What happened? Uh-oh. His, his love inab- dried up. His inability to show any sort of emotion Let's do a movie street. doesn't quite work here. Well, Xavier um, Samuel was the lead in a movie called Bait about a, a shark that, that swims around in a supermarket and right. eats people. Right. How can he go wrong? Surely he's gotten better since his Bait days. <laughs> he has not. Bader days. Oh, uh, James Freshville is okay. Um, it's just so difficult to watch this movie, which has a chance. I mean, it's got this great dramatic chance. It's these two moms who fall in love with each other's sons and and what happens to them over the course of time. The movie has no sense of how to how to span this time because they don't change the way any of these actors look over 20 years or however long that passes. Um, but Xavier Samuel can't handle any of this. Which and one James, does he hook up with? Like, which one's his mom and which one does he hook up with? Uh, as if I could remember. No, he he, uh, he hooks up difference. with... It doesn't matter. Um, he well, I'm just, up, don't be such a prude, Tom. <laughs> I'm just wondering which one he has to act opposite. Like, if it, if it is... Uh, if he is playing the son of Naomi Watts so that he's with Robin Wright, I want to see Naomi Watts and James Freshville like, as the romantic pair. I, like, that seems like it would be fascinating to me. Well, it is, it, and that is fascinating. I mean, okay. Naomi, Naomi just Watts, casting ideal romantic pairs. No. Na- Naomi Watts and James Freshwell look look good as a romantic pair, and and they have at least some chemistry going on. But okay, Robin good. Wright and Xavier Samuel, there's just nothing there. Well, yeah, he's a dud, and that's the thing. It's I like, can't at least don't make Naomi Watts try to act with Xavier Samuel. That's yeah. that's my hope for a door. Right. Right. Okay. But but the difficulty is that, that these two guys, regardless, I mean, James Freshville is much better than Xavier Samuel, um, but they are just no match for uh, Naomi Watts and Robin Wright, who are really great. And it's just so weird and uneven, and you just feel like you're constantly on this raft that's about to turn over. Um, so that's my favorite unbalanced cast of the year. Right. Uh, Adore could have had a really good... It could have really worked. There's there's a lot there. There's a lot there that could have worked. Uh, ben Mendelsohn is in it, for instance. Oh! Um, Dingus, you're selling me. Sold. Well, I I think it's worth watching. It's just difficult to watch, because mainly because of Xavier Samuel, but because it's just so unbalanced with how great the moms are. And the, the I think the movie was originally called Perfect Moms, but it was it's had a thousand different titles. Um it's just difficult to watch because of him and because James Freshville isn't quite up to it either. All right. All right so uh, I'm going to give out an award now, and this is for you guys. Well, it's not to you guys, but I made it up for you guys. So here's an award, bitches. This. So it was. It was a. It was a really good year. This was a. It was a good year for sci-fi. It was a really good year for horror. Uh, Banshee chapter. We all loved your next. There's a really cool Luke Evans horror movie called No One Lives. Uh, I don't think either of you saw uh, David Cronenberg's son's movie Antiviral. Uh, I really like. That was this year. Uh, uh, Michael Sarah for some reason went down to Chile and made a couple of movies. Um, one called The Crystal Fairy and the other, a horror movie, which I think is really good, called Magic Magic. There's a, a horror movie called The Last Will and Testament of Rosalind Lee. 
uh, a fantastic Paul Andrew Williams movie called Cherry Tree Lane finally came out on DVD in the U.S. Uh, a cool horror movie called Citadel uh, came out in the U.S. But I'm going to give out an award for the best art house horror movie of 2013. And that goes to a movie that belongs on this list. And it's a movie called Last Exorcism Part 2. Ah. And it gets this award because there are three reasons I really like this movie. It has three things I really need. I need a good cast. <laughs> I need a good cast. And Ashley Bell uh, is amazing. And the movie is mainly – she. the movie, 90% of Last Exorcism Part 2 is watching Ashley Bell act. And I'm fine with that. That can sustain the movie. Um, a movie also needs a good script. And I really like what Last Exorcism Part 2 does with this story about demonic possession by turning it into a love story. Uh, and that's not necessarily a spoiler. It becomes evident fairly early on. Um, but the director, a fellow named Ed Gass Donnelly, who had done uh, a little Canadian indie film called Small Town Murders, uh, and he did some really weird stuff in that. Some of the weird art housey stuff that he does in Small Town Murders, you also see in Last Exorcism Part 2. Uh, and then finally, I love the ending of this movie. Too few horror movies have good endings and and that applies to all the movies i named with the exception of cherry tree lane i don't think any of those the movies that i just mentioned has a particularly strong ending even your next your next kind of ends on a, a a lark it's a it's a cute little moment but as far as real payoff that's rare in a horror movie even i would say uh banshee chapter uh, has kind of a cheap payoff. But the payoff in Last Exorcism Part 2 and Cherry Tree Lane are rare, precious things in horror movies. So, there you go. Here's the award for Best Art House Horror Movie. It goes to Last Exorcism Part 2. Suck it, you guys. That's right, Kelly Wand. It's not a predictable ending. And then, afterwards, you go, oh, it was inevitable. Mm, deep. <laughs> Kelly Wan, why don't you hand out your final award for 2013? What do you got? Oh, uh, I know we didn't like the movie, but uh, the best battle, I thought, I think everybody remembers where they were when they watched this scene, is uh, the suspenseful in The Hobbit, the elven fish barrel argument, where Barge is all, all right, you're going to be the one who has to tell Congressman Wormtongue his fish are all in the water. And they just kind of know they just get by it but it was a scene i'd long imagined just being completely unfilmable because how do you get that intensity on the screen and i was all oh but then when i saw the scene i was all oh this movie's still going <laughs> that was the best battle you saw this year huh? yeah it's pretty good <laughs> it was quite a contest of wills wasn't i it? know what's gonna happen are they gonna keep going are they gonna turn back they gotta swim Diggis, give us an them. give us an award for 2013. What's your final award to hand fuck out? Fuck the dragon. I mean, what's going to happen? <laughs> fuck, no, fuck the dragon. No, don't do that to the dragon. He doesn't. He does not like it. No. All right, there's a word I call my triptych award. Um, did either of you guys watch Before Midnight? Uh, I don't see movies. That are about relationships. Yes. Uh, that all are based around what time it is. Oh, I thought you were going to say prepositions. All right. I don't see movies that only have Ethan Hawke and Julia Delpy. Yeah. Okay. Find somebody else for once. <laughs> little, little. So, no, what is best trip? Speaking so, of Julie Delpy, by the so way. So, wait, Dingus, are you giving an award to three different movies? That can't no. be possible. Uh, Plus, it's four now. I didn't know what to do with this movie. Um. 
find it to be singular, and I would like you guys to sort of talk with me a little bit about this, uh, because it's a really difficult movie to watch for a lot of reasons. But um, well, like what? I can only think of one. Uh, <laughs> did you guys like either of the other movies? Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. Uh, about train rides, right? But nobody <laughs> dies. It's just about people talking before they have sex, right? Or after they have sex. Yeah, that's basically what it is. Yeah, but, that's what every but, movie. Um, Julie Delpy's really unlikable in this one. Oh. And Ethan Hawke is really likable. Oh. But we're at the point, I guess the first one was made in 94, 95. So we're talking about 20 years. And you were talking about three people. Uh, Julie Delpy, Ethan Hawke, and... Um, Linkletter. Yeah, thank you. Um, who all made a movie together and then made another movie together and another movie together over this amount of time. And so what's fascinating to me about this is that these characters have changed over time, but these people have changed over time. And these three people, in particular these three people, have made three movies over this period of time. And the characters have changed, but the actors have changed as well. And maybe the actors don't like each other. Maybe the actors <laughs> don't like the director. Maybe they do like each other, but they decide to make the movie anyway, or maybe they don't. And so it's fascinating to me to watch this last movie unfold, um, because she's really difficult to watch in a lot of ways, but I don't know if that's the character. I don't know if it's because she doesn't like Ethan Hawke particularly much, or because she's not in a happy place in her life. Uh, I don't know. Does he feel like a character, you mean? That's kind of why I'm calling it triptych because I don't know how to sort of separate all of those things when you're talking about individuals who are working together creatively over this span of years I mean what other they have to like each other I would think they might or they might be working together for no one lasts three movies even Kevin Reynolds and Kevin Costner broke up after Waterworld yeah but but it's it's a creative endeavor and and the Kevins but right. people change over that amount of time, and it's just fascinating to me to watch these three movies and wonder, um, what are we watching as character dynamic, and what are we watching as the so actual people? Uh, so so I'm giving this award because I, I really liked watching the movie, but it's hard to watch it for a lot of reasons. Um I, And she's really hard to watch because she's not likable, and he is. Uh in some ways, in other ways, it's just very honest and the way the other movies are. Um, but I, I have to wonder, what is this collaboration like after 20 years to work on three different movies over 20 years and then do one this year? Um, how much of it is actor? How much of it is character? And how much it is just my personality? I, I went through this or that this year, and now I'm reacting this way this year. So... It's just, I, I I don't know how to really land this award. It's just, when I watched this movie, I couldn't get away from the idea of, what was it like for these three people in particular to have to be together for 20 years on three different movies? Uh, and maybe they loved it, maybe they didn't. How much of it is personality, how much of it isn't? Right. So that's my triptych award. Well... Um, Kelly Wand, I'm going to leave it to you to watch that and get back to Dingus. All of them? <laughs> I, it's such a, I, like, I, I do want to see it, Dingus, and I do like both of them, and I especially like Ethan Hawke, but it, it feels like a chore movie. Like, I, 
it's it's going to be a bit of a slog to make myself sit down and watch. There's there's such great things in it. I mean, there's there's this well, sensibility. You should have of, read with that. <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry, but yeah. but but, the, but after I got to the end of it, I got to this award because I didn't know what to do with it. Because right. there 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 are these great like long long scenes, and then there are long scenes that don't work, and then. You know, you know how these these three movies work, or how the other two movies work, where, where the characters will just be walking around, and just talking philosophy or whatever the hell for twenty minutes, and they're just walking down a street, and the camera has to track them for this twenty minute walk, um, and this happens <laughs> like three or four Every times. Movie? Yeah, th- th- that's Ugh. how these movies work. They're, they're just Why don't you just get a real talking. girl and get on a real train and have sex with her? Tell you what, it, it's Richard Linkletter. I mean, do you? Do you I have, like him. Well, there you go. Uh, I don't yeah. want to see his date movies. <laughs> well, he wants to get laid himself from there, There's a scene wife. in the beginning where they're driving in their car for a long time, and it really, really is great. And then there's a scene where they're walking for a long time, and I don't know what the heck is going on. Then there's this yeah. protracted scene at a, a huge dinner table where I'm like, I don't know what if this works. I mean, it's there's a lot of like, um, this works, this doesn't work. So, so the the centerpiece of the movie of course is their relationship and i'm wondering how much of that is is actor is, is is actor personalities and character personalities and i just can't get away from that because uh, what other movies do you have that you can say other than like the godfather or something that's 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 um uh uh, sequels that happen over that length of time. I mean, what other movies can you point to where actors and a director have worked together over 20 years to make three different movies? And I find that fascinating. So I wonder, what are the character and actor dynamics in that? So that's my trick. All right. Uh, my final award is, uh, this is the award for the second best movie of the year about a girl hiking in the woods who stumbles into an armed man. <laughs> And this award goes to The Liability, starring Tim Roth, Jack O'Connell, and Tallulah Ryan. Yes! <laughs> I knew it! Uh, so a movie came out early uh, in the year called The Liability, and so in, it, uh, uh, in it, Tim Roth is a, is a hitman. You've never seen that before, right? Uh, the, the real discovery, and he's so good in it, by the way, Tim Roth. The real discovery, though, in The Liability is a young British actor named Jack O'Connell yeah. who is playing just a dumb kid who has to work with Tim Roth as, as his driver. Um, Jack O'Connell is incredible. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a comedy. It's a black comedy. And Jack O'Connell's character is an idiot for the most part. But the kid is just so he's so interactive with Tim Roth and he's he's really good it made me track down and watch other Jack O'Connell movies and I can't wait to see what other stuff this guy does um and uh there's there's also an actress in here named Tallulah Riley who Dingus singled out from the movie Inception and Dingus said that he he described her in Inception as what a, a guy who doesn't know any better, maybe because he's gay, might think an attractive woman is like, and he might get it wrong. Because the idea what? is that the idea is that in Inception, Tom Hardy is like the architect for the dreams, and he has to put a super hot chick in one of the dreams. But there's some question that maybe Tom Hardy's character is gay. So when this super hot chick appears in Inception, <laughs> played by Tallulah Riley, she looks a little awkward, mannish. maybe a little mannish, a little off. Um, so Tallulah Riley, having no mannishness, by the way, about her, <laughs> is super hot in, in the liability. 
Um, as a matter of fact, there is this incredible, super sexy scene where uh, it's the handoff scene where, you know, you give me the money and I give you this bag of evidence you want uh, that's shot uh, in, a, in a parking lot. It has this Euro pop soundtrack. Uh, it is the best Nicholas Winding Refn sequence that was not actually shot by Nicholas Winding Refn because <laughs> uh, the liability was made by a – I don't know he's a first-time director. I don't know his other movies. A fellow named Craig v- Viveros. Never heard of him before. Uh, so anyway, The Liability, it's a black comedy uh, about uh, a hitman and a, and a young kid working together. Tim Roth is in top form. This guy, Jack O'Connell, was a real discovery. Uh, and Tallulah Riley is kind of the third point in this weird triangle that happens, uh, is definitely, I would say, arresting. Um, so Kelly, one, you didn't see The Liability. No, I don't see movies uh, about insurance hit with male (laughs) proteges. All right, so uh, there you go. There's our. We did uh, it. We did it. Uh, Another year, 2013. Um, Now, are you guys ready to ring in 2014 by seeing Kellen Lutz in The Legend of Hercules? Welcome, Internet. Join us for that next week. Uh, we're back to our regular format. We'll have a three by three. Our, our three by three next week are your favorite lies told in movies. If you have any tr- picks for that, you've got another week to send them in. The email address is three by three. That's three x three at quarter to three dot com. Send them in. We'd love to read them on the air. Uh, and then we'll be back next week to talk to you about the legend of Hercules, starring starring Kellen Lutz. And directed by uh, Rennie Harlan, Kelly Wan. What do you think of that? No, no, no. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Rennie Harlan. I got it right. I just hope Kellen Hutz doesn't sell out in this movie. <laughs> well, that would have been great to go out on. But first I have to say I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by uh, Christian Murlowski. It's Christian Murlowski. And Kelly Wand. Fuck it, I'm bumping. This is the end of number one. <laughs> is that cool? Do it, Kelly Wand. Oh. Uh, do you have any runner-up awards? I only have one. What is it, Kelly? What's your runner-up? Best paternal nickname? McLean. From Die Hard 3? What are you doing? Five. <laughs> Five, three. Nice. Good lord. My math is awful. He calls his dad <laughs> by his last name, even though he has the same last name. It's pretty interesting. So you think that when he's talking to his dad, it, he might, it might be confusing like he's talking to himself? I wasn't listening. Hey, what's your favorite battle from The Hobbit? Uh, the battle to get to the exit after it was over. Fives. La, 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 la. Dingus, you win my award for favorite friend. I am balls deep in boredom.